What's up? It's Jay. It's good to see you here in the chat. And everybody, we are good to go. We are joined by Mr. Gifted with three eyes. Make sure you put the three eyes when you're searching. Uh, my name is Holden right. Stefan Roy. This is Bridge the Gap. And this is the show where we talk to interesting people such as yourself. And we try to walk through your life story a lot. And then kind of extract some knowledge nuggets from that experience so that we can all be better humans after. Um with that though we have a proper opening question but for that to make some level of sense what we need is for you to let us know where it is that you start your life damn that's a deep ass question man sheesh well i mean when the sperm meets the over uh, it's it's over <laughs> but yeah i was the winning sperm so that's how my life started started on a positive note mm. i was the winner from a day one and uh you know, uh, I mean, I'm born from uh, Haitian descent, but I was born in Canada. Both my parents are from Haiti, hey. and I was born in Canada in 1993. And you're from Montreal? Yeah, I was born in Montreal, and uh, yeah, originally lived most of my life here. Awesome. So now we're going to get it started proper. That was the, the sort of preface question. This question, well, it, it, they're related. Uh, so this is, it all starts off. It's a bit of a story. When it lands, you can take it away. Feel free to get creative. I love how you started that. Uh, this all starts <laughs> with my girlfriend. She's watching the dishes one time. And she's got her phone out playing when she's doing her thing. And it's that Black Eyed Peas sound. I got a feeling. Ooh. She's vibing. She's dancing. She's doing her thing. I'm looking at her. And I have this this moment where I go, when the fuck did this song become chores music? And I say that because if you run this shit back about 10, 11 years, middle of the night, everybody's in a fat circle, jumping up and down, super drunk when this shit comes on, running up a decade, all of a sudden, it's the type of music we put on when we're doing some chores, maybe we hitting the gym, we doing some boring, monotonous stuff when we want to go back to those highlight, fun, middle of the night vibes in our mind. And that got me thinking about how this music evolves right because like that song didn't change mm -hmm. the song stayed the same yep. but us over time we evolved so much that the context of how we treat music evolves it got me thinking about the little 20 year olds and how much they love the pop smokes and the drills and stuff and how they don't even know it yet but when they my age it's really just gonna be their dishes music you know turn up to that shit they don't know <laughs> that when i heard pop smoke it became dishes music for me because that's just what happens you can't help it it's a it's a good vibe and then it got me thinking about our musical journeys right because as music people we go on these journeys with the music and everything and when you think about other interviews and the way that people start talking about and describing stuff you often find that it kind of commences at this adolescent phase you know like you form your identity and you attach yourself to this kind of music or you start writing rhymes or doing a thing and it's usually let's say 10 to 12 ish that's usually when everything seems to start in people's lives but the way music works it kind of just starts back possibly a little bit after that sperm victory you were in the womb growing in there was waves passing through penetrating whatever your parents was bumping it was permeating you weren't even <laughs> conscious yet and as time went on you were able to absorb a bunch of stuff like i say this because I can remember being like five years old up in close St. Luke in the, you know, in the apartment. My dad, he's got like the boxes, the gray ones, the fucking stereo, the tape decks, the fucking preamp, the amps, the everything with the radio, with the wires going everywhere, the speakers all around the rooms. He'd be bumping his Led Zeppelin tapes and his rock shits during the day. But at night, yo, was MC Mario and the club mix straight from all wherever he would be at. Completely different vibes. Mm -hmm. My mom, she was more like the Q92s, the love songs, the musicals, the discos 
shows and all of this was kind of this soundscape of different vibes mixing the radio the disney movie all that stuff and it just kind of creates this overall soundscape to everything i was forced to listen to before i really controlled anything i wanted to listen to and I was hoping, Mr. Gifty, you could bring us all the way back to when you were the youngest person you could remember being and walk us through a little bit about what it sounded like to be you when you were starting your life of Montreal with parents of Haitian descent. Keeping in mind, not everybody comes from that experience, so it would be damn cool to hear about it. Yo, I really like the setup of that question because that's deep. And like, as you were saying it, I was thinking about different things, periods of my life where I connected with music and all that. So, yo, dope question. Thank you. But... Um, yeah, so I think me, for me, like, I've always loved music, but then it's only at a certain age that I started to knew, know that I love music, and then I started to, you know, gravitate more and more towards that. But if I think about, like, my earliest memories of music is, uh, I, again, I'm from Haitian descent, so I got Haitian parents, and at, at almost every party, you know, they, they play comp compa music, which is, like, a lot of, like, uh, synthesizers, keyboards, guitars, do-do-do, do-do-do, like, danceable music so i've always every party family party christmas even kids birthday parties you know in haitian culture even if a kid turns one years old we're all popping bottles all the adults are drinking even though it's a kid's party and then compa is always playing in the background so that's my earliest memories is that those rhythms but when i started to kind of like listen more to music and really start to get my favorite artists favorite songs i think it's uh i one of my earliest memories is also R. Kelly, which is canceled at this moment, but my grandma really loved the song, I Believe I Could Fly, mm. when Space Jam came out. So I, that's very vivid in my memory. It's a big song. Yeah, because my grandma always, like my grandma, she's from Haiti and she barely, she doesn't speak, well, she's not here anymore, but she didn't speak French or English. She only speak Creole. Right. But she could understand, like if she felt that song and she would always sing it, even though she didn't really know the words. She sang like the tones of it. So that was like one of the earliest memories. But then, um, Afterwards, because me, I'm a child of like, I'm a, I have five, four siblings and I'm the youngest. I'm oh, the fifth sibling. Word. So I have three sisters, one brother. So my brother's like the, the second youngest. So my sisters had parties. So if it wasn't compa for my parents, then my sisters had parties. So they used to play Fuji's, Wyclef Jean, Lauren Hill, um, reggae dance hall so they're really into the heavy into that and to missy elliott and uh lauren hill so the, i was, used to always hear that over here when they're having parties downstairs i'm like oh, i want to join but I, I would hear that music from far you know so basically if i understand correctly as you were a little one navigating through life pretty much everybody around you is partying and you're not really fully immersed in the parties <laughs> That's, that's exactly it. That's the youngest. That's the struggle. You're like, I want to be an adult. I want to party with the, my, my parents. I want to party with my sisters, my brother. But you're always too young. And you're just in the background, kind of just soaking everything in, watching how people react to the music and to themselves. So yo, that, I was always an observer. Yo, that's since an a interesting kid. sentiment, what you just said, that you were back watching people and how they behaved to music from like a young age. Yeah, I've always been observant. I've always, like, I have big eyes, people told me, so it's for a reason. Because <laughs> I observe everything and I, I take it in, you know? That's super nifty. Um, so if you, yeah. were, if, were you, like, interested in music at that point? Or was it more just because of the parties and stuff? And if not, what, what kind of passions did you have as a young one? Um, well, I think... Slowly, I developed a love for music because I, I used to, well, my family used to go to church and all that. So I think around uh, 
maybe seven, eight or nine years old, I started taking piano lessons at church and I used to take drum lessons at church too. So it started okay. with church, you know, church, church music. And, uh, and then after I kind of left the, the courses alone and eventually I started, well, actually that was with seven, eight, and then maybe around 13, that's when I started producing music on a computer. So from seven to 13, there was like a gap where I didn't really do music. But then I came back to my, my love of music when I started producing like I, in my teenage Most years. Most people be talking about gaps at like 23 to like 29 or some shit. The man's just like, <laughs> I'm eight years old up in the church doing my drumming, learning the basics. Got tired of it, you yeah. know, came back at 13. I'm like, bro, that's super young. Because <laughs> you know what happened? I think, did I do drums before piano? I don't know. But anyways, I think I remember, I remember a vivid memory of me performing a, p a song on piano in front of the whole church. And I was just so nervous. And then I was just like, oh, I don't want to do this ever again. So then I, I, I think shortly after that point, I decided to quit piano lessons because I had so much anxiety from performing in front of people, like, you know, whatever the little routine I learned. So I think that's what like kind of drifted me away from music. But then I came back to it, you know? No, I definitely get that. It must be a lot of pressure to have to like learn routines and perform when you're young. And church is serious. Like people don't maybe know that, but like I remember the church band and like they took that shit serious. They had practices and you had to like come in on off days. And like when you came in, you came in like you was a rock star. Maybe not the bad parts of rock star, but like the seriousness and preparedness. Like you were really getting paid for that shit at church. That's how I, I saw the energy of the musicians. So, yo, thanks for the bits, yeah. Jay. I appreciate that. <clears throat> um, <laughs> but also, uh, oh, sorry, cut you off. Nah. But I was just gonna say, um, yeah, I was just gonna say, like uh, talking about church, because also I don't know if you've uh, been to a lot of black churches, but it's like. It's very lively and the music is lively too, especially in Haitian churches where it's like, uh, I'm not really practicing, I'm not really Christian, but my family's Pentecostal, which is a very lively, they have a, li a lot of lively songs. And when I still go to church now as an adult, I don't really enjoy church like that, but I, I still like pay attention to the music, musicians in the corner. I'm like, yo, that's a, that's a nice beat you have there, you know? So that it's full circle kind of like going back to church and as an adult and seeing that, you know? I definitely can say that I've been to a couple of black churches enough to know what lively means compared to the churches I went to. But mo <laughs> most of the churches I went to was hella calm. Like when I was super young, it was like no instruments a cappella. And then we upgraded to the next church. It was piano only. And then when my teenage years, they had a whole on fucking band, but 95 BPMs or slower type thing. So it was like, mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of like a, a, a calm down version of what it could be, but it really that experience of seeing like an actual band playing music and just seeing the church thing really did teach me a lot about music just because even if I wasn't playing, you're still being absorbed by it and around it. And like, I don't know, there's something to watching a drummer hit a drum and you know, like that, like connects connected with me at least. Yeah, for sure. Those rhythms and stuff, it really hits you. Like, like, you know how the, the bass goes, it always hits you in the heart, like with the boom, 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 even at a club, if you're next to a big speaker, it's mm. all like vibrations and, frequencies you know as a producer i deal a lot with that shit you know so it's, it's all vibrations and frequencies basically and so like when you were in that off phase of music or even before it were you up to like some other things in your life drying or sports or other kind of things to preoccupy a young gifted uh yeah i was heavy into basketball like um i think i started playing basketball at seven because my, my oldest sister played basketball like she played in teams in her high school I think she showed me how to play basketball at seven. 
I just fell in love with it. You know, summertime activities, I would like drive on my bike, go to the pool and play basketball. Like that's my whole summer, which is driving bikes, uh, pool and basketball. So I've always played basketball. I even played basketball up to high school. I didn't play for my high school team, but I played for like the city league team with like Saint Laurent right. and stuff like that. So that was mostly my other hobby apart from music, you know? Fair. And what, what made you come into getting into beat making at 13? Like, like, I mean, that feels like a super ambitious thing to just take on all of a sudden. Usually you hear about people maybe starting to rap or something, but like, I don't know. It's cool to me that you got into production so young. Sorry, the more I thought about that, like the moment that I started making music, it kind of gets deep because like I started making music at 14, like producing at 14. But what happened is my dad passed away when I was 13. And now now thinking back, I'm like, it's a direct correlation, you know, because like the sadness, the emotions, and then the fact that I had left music, I think music was kind of like a like a, a, a shelter for me and like a, something to take my mind off of other things. You know, losing your dad as a teenager, it's, as the youngest kid of a family of five, you know, so it's it's kind of like a lot. Right. So um, my brother kind of sh- started playing with GarageBand on MacBook. And then I, I started playing around with it too. And I was like, oh, okay, it's pretty interesting. Putting songs, like sounds together. I didn't really create the sounds at that time, but there was like a bass sound, a piano sound, a jazzy sound, and I would stack them correctly and arrange it and stuff like that. So. That's where I really started, started uh, putting stuff together as a producer. So you basically would play with the samples included in it and kind of sequence it and, and, and build out the basics of beat making at the beginning. From what HJ777 is saying, made some bad beats too. So that, Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good co-sign to get while you're talking about your beat making. But I heard what you do. You clearly know how to do it. You have like a crazy work ethic. You put out a lot of beats, even in the more the more recent thing, like scrolling through your your catalog. You got a lot of work done, so it makes sense when you see what people can do with crazy outputs now. When you hear about how they were like fourteen, starting and practicing and getting into it. Did it? Yeah, absolutely. So was it like um, something that became like a big passion of yours? And as you were doing that, were you linking up with other people in terms of like creating like rappers or other folk around you through school or anything like that? Um, at that time, let me see. Oh, okay. If I really think back, like around that time, around the same time I started making beats, there was other, well, my close friends in high school, they were starting to rap a little bit. So like, uh, I think by the time I turned like 15 and went to like sec three, which is like uh, what, grade, uh, grade nine, nine yeah. for other people outside of Quebec. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so grade nine, some of my close friends started uh, rapping and then we would just write rhymes together uh, at that time. But mostly the beats I did, like it, were you it also really rapping? sounded really jazzy. Well, I mean, the timeline is kind of, I kind of started making beats around like 14 and I started rapping or writing rhymes around 16, 17. Okay. So you were doing the beat thing for a little bit while they were rapping before you kind of got into rapping yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause I was like, I'm making beats. No one's rapping on them. Maybe I'll rap on them. And then it just kind of happened. And were y'all like, um, were y'all making songs at that point? Like, were you recording anything or was it just like kind of, you were making beats and they was rapping and it was more disconnected? Well, the timeline of it was kind of like, 
like around school, like they started doing rap battles. At some point, rap battle was a thing in like Sec 3. So people were just writing little raps and then battling. And then we eventually found out one of the guys stole a rap from Joel Santana. <laughs> so it was my boy Antonio. And uh, basically, uh, Antonio was one of my close friends. Uh, we started rapping. And uh, we had a, one of my other friends had a project to do for French class. So we did a music video. <laughs> And uh, we even did a freestyle video. And then my friend Antonio keeps saying, yo, we went platinum in the hood in high school because everyone in, in school was kind of talking about that track. We did like a little freestyle. So I was doing little like songs, like I was leading up to like a, a actual rap career, but we we're doing like playing around and trying How to- How did you guys make the video? Famous at school, you know? Uh, it's still on YouTube to this day, but we, I think we skipped school that day. We went to my boy's studio, which was inside his, his room basically. <laughs> And then we recorded, he had like a sock on the mic just to, you know, for like the pop filter type shit. We just kind of recorded it at his house on a little microphone he had. And, and then we shot a video with like my friends, he had a webcam on his computer. And then we filmed kind of video with a webcam of just like a freestyle. And uh, yeah, we had another video we did where someone had an actual camera. And so it was like little, little things we were doing, you know, like, like putting that on starting YouTube off. or MySpace or stuff, or how did you get it out to the people? Uh, I think the freestyle video was on YouTube and then we put like a, the music video that the guy was doing for his French project on Facebook at the time. We remixed the song from Drake, uh, Over. So another we were like, oh, part. high school is over. So you've like basically that. been just tapped into social media since time then. So like as you're learning how to make beats, are you leveraging stuff like YouTube and is that helping you in the process? Oh yeah, for that, for sure, for sure. Because like, I've always like, like as I got older and stuff, I always thought about going to like music school, like music technique or whatever, Trebus and stuff. But when, since I was like 14 till now, I still, I just go on YouTube, watch tutorials. And uh, what about like what I need? Like, oh, how do you use reverb? How do you use uh, this? And then first I started with beginner tutorials. Like I use FL Studio. So I started with beginner tutorials and like what, does what where to put what and then when i got more comfortable i got into like intermediate tutorials like oh let's do a lex luger type beats back in the day or a rick ross type beat back in the day you know like well, i mean lex luger and rick ross working together right. but i was heavy into lil wayne like in my early like my high school days like lil wayne was like my heavy and heavy rotation so i used to try to make beats uh, like that too that's wild. I mean, because like for me, like social media comes in a little bit like when I'm an adult, but basically you're like your entire life related to creating music is directly correlated to social media because your whole world is connected like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm 29 years old. So like, I mean, I used to be on, I didn't, I didn't, I, I was past the MySpace era, but I got in when it was like high five Holy and like shit. Those apps like that. I like before Facebook, forgot you know? about high five. <laughs> Yeah, the era right after MySpace and before Facebook, people were in like High Five and all those little websites. Right. And uh, yeah, I was always hip to that stuff. You know, I was always on top of things. And because I, I had missed out like before high school, I didn't really have internet like that. So I wasn't on MSN too much. I was always like, oh, I wish I could chat with my friends, but I didn't have internet all the time. Right. So when it came to like high school, I was like, yo, I need to be heavy on that social media now, you know? Right. So you get to high school, you're heavy on social media, you're a beat maker. Do you find it easy to like connect with people at this point or is it like difficult? Cause I know like rappers, they'd be like, I put my shit out and everyone loved me in high school. 
And then after high school is where they find it got kind of hard. I mean, I guess with your freestyle, everybody loved that shit, which is dope. But like when it came to like mm-hmm. getting connected with beats, uh, connecting your beats to rappers and stuff, did you find that that was a simple process or was that hard? Oh, at the beginning, it was very hard. Like even just like showing my beats to friends at school, like at that time, my beats sounded really like jazz. Cause I was still using GarageBand and stacking sounds. So it was like sounds that were in GarageBands were sort of like very jazzy, like saxophones and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, it sounds good when I was putting it together. But when I showed it to people, they're like, oh, it's more jazzy than hip hop. And, and then I was like, oh, okay. So then I started to try to evolve my sound to be more hip hop and like try to get better at producing. And then I think I started getting more towards like the Lex Luger type beats and like stuff like that. So I transitioned from like jazzy to more like the early trap days. But yeah, it was very like no one was really using my beats back then. Like even myself, like I would use them myself, but like it was like a very early stage of beats. Like they weren't complete and and all that. So I had to work on it some more. So when did you start to like migrate into like, well, what comes after the garage band? You start creating your own sounds or do you start getting like kits or how does it like work when you're delving into the world of beat making post garage band? Oh, so after garage band, I maybe used garage band for like a year, year and a half when I started, but then, you know, we're in the generation of crack, uh, and like pirating stuff. So I pirated FL Studio, but one of my friends helped me to get it. And I was like, oh, cool, thanks. And then, right, right. then I started doing the tutorials. And then that's when I got the FL Studio that I got to be like, start more composing, like doing little thing on the piano. I was doing simple notes at first, like just like, oh, C, D, C, D, E, like don't. So it was like very basic stuff. I wasn't like into chords yet, but uh, FL Studio kind of got me better at producing, you know, cause there's more, options and the sounds i was downloading sound kits from the internet and just trying to work with those like different kick sounds snares and everything like that you know yeah that makes sense so a lot of people ended up going the fl studio route and so with the tutorials you start making beats does moving to fl studios so you're what 16 ish maybe then is that uh, is that what makes you kind of want now that your beats i guess are evolving does that what makes you want to start rapping more too because you have better beats to work with and are you able to move those beats to other people simpler? Well, I think the two reasons I started rapping at that time, I think it's one this cause I needed someone to rap on my beats. I was like, I could do it myself. And I think I owe a lot of my rap career to Lil Wayne cause I had a period where I was listening to 50 cent and all that. But then around high school, like from 2008 to 2010, 11, like Lil Wayne was running shit. So I was like, every, every I was starting writing, but I would write like Lil Wayne. I'm like, oh, I off your head and I send your head to your baby mama's house. But then, you know, I never got into a fight at that time. I never held a gun, but I was rapping that hard shit as if I was a gangster because of Lil Wayne. Right. So I started writing those types of bars. And Lil Wayne also had those, like those stupid punchlines, which were hard at the same time. So I was like, yo, I could do that. And then me and my friends would always like do little puns that turned into rhymes and then we would just write them on paper while we're not paying attention in class. We're just writing rhymes on our loose leaf, like Hillroy, like notebooks and stuff like that. So. Yeah. That's an excellent use of time. I mean, I know people might think that's a wild thing, but I look at it like you make music today. So all that time you spent writing rhymes in class, excellent use of time. I mean, that's right. Look at me today. (laughs) Um, so you get into it with the, I haven't got a, Sorry, say that. Say it again. 
No, sorry, I was I was gonna say something. Else. Never mind. Continue. It's just a joke or whatever. Nah, it's okay. You're allowed to joke and stuff. Um, but like, so you get into the rapping, you start making your own beats. Do you guys like? Do you start to like work with people, or is it mostly like a solo thing at that point? And are you like getting more connected into the bigger community around you? Because I know it's still high school, but like sometimes people get wildly hooked up to people in high school. Um, when high school, I didn't really work collectively as much. Like I put out some like songs, whatever myself recorded on a laptop mic or whatever, but it's only like after it's probably like, uh, 2012 where I really started to like take music more seriously and working with other people, like all before that high school and CJEP, it was mostly me like kind of trying to find myself through music. Right. And then later on, I connected with people, you know? So that was like a like more 2012 and after around that time. Okay, so like do you you look at it like that whole school process was you just practicing your skills, learning how to rap, record, and do all the beat making kind of stuff. Um, were you also, I guess, constantly publishing along this point? I know you said there was a couple of things you dropped, but was it like mostly stuff you kept in the vault? Um, I think the first ever track I dropped, it wasn't because I didn't go to the studio and it, it didn't sound like quality. I was recording on, on a laptop speaker. So the first um, kind of song I dropped was just on Facebook. And it was, uh, I think, Drake Light Up. I used the beat from Drake Light Up and I, I kind of freestyled on it. And I put it out on uh, Facebook, but I wasn't really putting anything out anywhere else like that. Like my beats, maybe I put on YouTube just to see, but I wasn't really putting anything maybe SoundCloud back in the day, but it's really like later on that I started like more posting it out there and, and like try to get the sound out there. So like what makes you decide to start to take it more seriously? Um, so I think is, uh, cause you know, right. I went to high school until like 2010. I went to CJ until like 2012. But I think towards the end of CJEP, I started to get a full-time job. And at that full-time job, there was people that also made music. Because like I found in my life, because I worked in a lot of call centers, and a lot of call centers have a lot of musicians. Because if you think about it, like call centers are like jobs where you have to be good with your voice and like have some type of like motor skills on the computer. So my producing skills helped me with the computer, my rapping helped me with the voice. And then there was like a lot of artists, and then we're like, oh, okay um chris chrome was working there like your boy chris chrome worked at a place called logic uh, a guy named maxim which is called by solo the kid and uh, tristan which goes by lucius p thundercat yeah. and then we had a manager too named matthew so we're all working together and we're like oh you make music you rap you rap and then matthew which was the manager he decided to kind of bankroll us and he brought us to our first studio ever to record like in an actual studio and I think that's when I decided to take it more serious when I realized we kind of did it as a group and we each had something to bring to the table. So all, all, five the all five of you were at the same call center. All five of you were at the same call center. Yep. That's, that is a wild thought that call yeah, that's centers where we kind of, are like uh, the hub of Montreal. Like, and, yo, shout out Jump and Joe for yeah. coming through. <laughs> Anecdotally, call centers were hot for my music career. I was doing, I got, I basically stopped performing when i stopped working in call centers and being connected to them it just ended my opportunities wow, like that's crazy because yo who the fuck tells you about a rap show in corpo land 
It's not like that. Nobody be doing it. The musicians aren't really there. You do find a lot of EDM guys though. EDM's an exception because people be be wildly different in that world. <laughs> not not no no disrespect, man, but it's just wildly different. But yeah, no, the second I left call centers, it was like Yeah. I never went to a party again quite the same. Now it's fucking Sanka sets and it's all restaurants with like fancy wine and shit and it's just a different <laughs> vibe. <clears throat> That's a crazy observation from Montreal, though. Yeah. Because I bet most people that do the call center grind really do get connected like that. And you end up just meeting so many rappers and people burn through so many different call centers in this city that, like, it's very rare that you last a long time at a single call center. Yeah, it's true. There's a lot. It's like call centers always have big turnarounds, like, all the time. They're always hiring new people. They fire the old people that don't perform. And like, uh, coincidentally, I started working call centers like around since I was 15 years old. That's mostly, most all of my jobs I did were call centers. You started working at 15? And uh, I kind of, I guess it ties in with the music too. Yeah, I guess I was a hustler or some shit. That's wild. Nah, that's but uh, yeah, I spent my first paycheck on like uh, clothes and shit. I mean, 15, that's a good purchase. I mean... Yeah, I went to the store. I was like, yo, I got money for I got my own money for the first time. I went to like a clothing store. I think it was Foot Locker or something. And I was like, yo, I need this, 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 this. Bought a whole bunch of shit. <laughs> yo, respect though. If you're 15, you earn that check, you spend the check. That's a big flex. That's all I gotta say about that. Um for sure. <laughs> so it's wild though to me that you linked up with Chris Crumb. I met the manager guy. So I, I've heard about I met him one time recently throughout my recent journey. I've talked to Lucius P. Thundercat here and there. Chris Crumb, well, that guy landed in my life not long after he stopped working with you. So I'm like the next part of his life in regards to it. But you're like, you are all involved in this huge chapter for him. So for us, at least, it's mad interesting to hear about that whole like era. So like you linked up with a young ass Chris Crumb and y'all effectively mm -hmm. become this collective. I think it's ninth something. I can't remember if I'm right about that. Oh yeah, Cloud Nine MG. Wow, yeah. that takes me back, man. We had a we had a whole mixtape together. It was like the first ever project that was on. Like we had a collective mixtape, and it was pretty dope. Yeah, I know. I saw the. I, I produced a lot of stuff on there. There was like a music video from back then, if I'm not mistaken, that y'all did. I don't know if everyone did it, but I know I seen some music video from back then that Chris told me was y'all who did it back when I met him. Whether or not you might be there or not. Uh... Oh, uh, I don't know if we did a music video. I don't recall that part. Did we do a music video? I don't remember a music video. Fair. I'm just, I don't know. I'm just I don't know. on Chris Crumb's memories here. <laughs> but so, <laughs> so, so how was it going to the studio for the first time? And like, what was that experience like elevating from socks on mics and, you know, bedroom shit to like a real studio? I felt like I was doing something, you know, I was like, oh, okay, no more laptop speakers, no more like socks on the mic speakers and stuff like that. And I felt like I was starting to like actually be like uh, getting towards being a rapper, you know, it's like because I would also post like, let's say, pictures of us at the studio on social media. People would react to it and be like, oh, shit, you're really rapping right now. Like, okay, yeah, I guess I am. And then because <laughs> I was always writing. So I was like, okay, now it's time to like get the other portion of it is the actual like the fact of performing on the mic in itself it's an art like you could be good at writing right that's why a lot of people could write for other artists but like actually performing and having your voice come through to the mic it's like you have to get the must the, uh, the as much experience as possible on it just to get that you know to get the reps up and 
eventually like you get better and better. So that's what I kept in mind at the start. I was like, oh, I'm doing this and I'm gonna get better. It might not be that good right now. Like the first songs we recorded, like they may not be that good, like looking back, but you gotta start somewhere to get better, you know? You know, you might think they're not that good. In my experience with music fans, they wildly interesting. Your worst song, in your opinion, may be somebody's favorite song. I mean, the most ass-sounding, corny shit by your standards <laughs> might just be somebody else's favorite. I fucking swear it happened to me one time and it blew me away. But that's what I learned about it, bro. Because it's really just like, that's the passion of that age, right? And then we just get better. And as we get better, we get better, but we also get worse at some shit. And it's weird. We'll never be able to yeah. do that shit again. So there's something to that, like, rawness that comes from those early experiences. But what I think the real knowledge nugget in what you said was how people get better over time by practicing. Not only were recognizing the mic mm -hmm. skills, you were recognizing there's more to it than just writing and that there's, like, layers to it. And that by the perseverance, you would get there because... I don't know if everyone even says that shit. I hear a whole bunch of motherfuckers still talk about natural talent bullshit. And I'm like, I don't know, dude. Everybody I've talked to on this channel, <laughs> and you're number 143 right now, has had crazy 10,000 hours plus experience. Like, all of them. So it's like, nah, there really is that mm -hmm. progress over time that, like, gets you there. That's a great energy to have going into it. And it makes sense why you stuck with it then. Yeah, for sure. Hard work beats talent. If talent don't work hard, you know, someone could outwork you if even if you have you're born with some type of talent, you know. I think that's what happens to most talented. But uh, who like well the yeah. lazy side <laughs> of it, not all the time. The lazy talented people get oh, overrun by like not as talented but very efficient working people. But um, yeah, and what you said too before about like. Uh, like people, like you might think, yeah, like what you put out is not good as shit. But like sometimes it happens for beats. Like I, I think the beat, I, like I make it, I'm like, oh, okay, I don't really like it that much after I made it. But then I, someone else hears it, like, yo, what is this beat? I'm like, oh, this one is just something I was fucking around with, and then you never know what people might like, you know? That's it. Um, so like, what? How long did the the group with Chris and all of them last for? And how much? How, like, do you feel like it evolved you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because, like, you know, it was my first dynamic with, like, a manager, first dynamic with, like, colleagues that also rap. And I was also the producer of the group. So I had to kind of produce in the styles of, like, Chris Chrome or Lucius P. Thundercat and, like, Solo the Kid or whatever. So it was a formative experience for me as a producer to try to, like, they're asking me, oh, I want this type of beat. But then I'm coming out with a beat that doesn't sound like that. I'm like, oh, sorry, I, like, I tried it. So that was, like, early experiences with kind of, like, customer service within music if you know what i mean and i also work like back to the call center reference customer service so it all ties in together for me but that was very formative like we probably worked together working together since 2012 to like 2014 2015 probably had a good two three year run and then gonna went our separate ways when we all switched jobs, went to this job, that job, that job. So we kind of split our separate ways, but we're still cool, you know? That's wild to think that, like, the group was almost founded around the call center, and once y'all were not at the call center, like, the glue left, and it just kind of fizzled out in its own thing. Yo, that's an interesting Yeah, I mean, thought. there was also, like, <laughs> there was also internal beef, you know? 
but that's water under the bridge at this point. You know, it's like ten years ago or what at this point. So you know. But I bet there was part of it. Little that, beef, you that, know. Oh, but that's. I mean, I'm just saying you're you're right. I mean, I've heard some oh. some perspectives on things. I mean, I I know Chris at least, but like just that detail that you brought up probably still played a part. Like I know for a fact that my work homies stop being my work homies the second we stop working together like like clockwork it's almost like i stop banking on work friends existing once we stop being work friends unless i can find a new reason to work with you and it's mm-hmm. fucking weird like that so i thought that was an interesting point that you brought up but yeah <clears throat> yeah other things can still happen i'm sure other parts of it played out that were different from everyone's perspective um yeah exactly and also like the the beef part is part of it. Like, you know, even if it was a beef, it also, it's part of music. You're always going to have beef in music if you have difference of opinion. So that also prepared me and all of them, I guess, for, for that in the future too, you know? I just got to say, shout out DJ Crystal Clear for subscribing because that's the money thing when people do the live donation thing. So when somebody gives you money, it's like a, it's a Twitch okay. requirement. You have to interrupt what you're doing and thank them. <laughs> So thanks, DJ Crystal. Okay, I haven't really fucked with the Twitch world like that, but oh I need to gosh. get on that. You know what you guys are doing on Instagram? If you did it on Twitch, becomes monetizable with a snap of a finger, basically. So like uh, on this okay. stream, and you are officially my most profitable stream of 2022. Not that it's a crazy number, but hey, I have not go. had the craziest uh, luck with money this year. But I don't, I don't really push. I'm not that kind of guy for now um but basically they have two monetization things directly built in that make it really worth it for anybody that podcast or beat makers bro live beat making Mm -hmm. so the whole time you're there um people can subscribe which is very comparable to patreon only twitch takes a really heavy cut and patreon is an send people to patreon instead of twitch for that honestly but still they can subscribe directly there amazon prime uh, users can give away one free one a month so it's like if you have prime you could be giving okay. somebody one and all of them work out to 250 usd on your pocketbook for every subscription oh shit um then there's bits that's pretty good which translates quite literally to throwing pennies at the strip club so motherfuckers throw pennies at the strip club while you're live <laughs> um yo there should be a way to link yo because scribble asked i have prime how do i do this Yo, didn't you do it the other day, Scribble? I fucking swear. I, th- I swear I saw you subscribe with Prime. I digress. Um, but, um, yeah, so they can just directly buy these things called bits, which is the this internal okay. token, and you throw bitties. That's the internal way you say it there. <laughs> and then they have the next shit built in called a hype train. Um, yo, DJ Crystal Clear just gave out five more community subs, which is fucking wild. He's in a mood today. This guy likes to Let's give subs. Go. I actually made a song called DJ Crystal Clear likes to give subs because he <laughs> he doesn't watch my shit or anything. Nice. He just comes in. But yo, for everyone out there, I'll give him a plug. He does do Chopped and Screwed remixes, and he did the Lose Weight remix. And if y'all want to hit him up on some real shit, I think he's pretty talented. The guy puts out a video, a fucking day like uh, he does an album a day for like time like he's his channel's got like the most videos i know of anybody just every day with like clockwork so if y'all want to work with an experienced guy so to speak hit up dj crystal clear that's there you go that's worth your 1250 or whatever 
for sure for sure <laughs> so like that type of shit comes in and it's just live right mm -hmm. so you can do shit like i've seen beat makers uh in particular where they um they make beats with their audience or yo give me a sample i'll flip it and it's just that kind of shit right beat makers do better than rappers in my experience i'm not gonna lie so like mm -hmm. beat makers is really unless you want to freestyle at the chat bro if you want to freestyle chat words you're in it go be harry mack you're in it but if you don't want to do that like most of us don't want to do that <laughs> um you got to do like the beat making bro but i'm telling you whatever you're already doing just stream it and you're already gonna because i made money yeah. technically recording rap live on the internet because of dj crystal clear low-key it's just because of him but i made more money recording music i think this year than i did selling music this year which is unheard of in my life shit that's awesome because <laughs> i know people like high classified and shit like they they do they produce on twitch and stuff like that so i'll definitely look into that shit you know yo it's mad easy once you get it the hang of it but yo it's money it's more money than youtube it's more money than everything else for the exact same effort because that's the thing is you just do what you would normally do like we could have recorded this offline and then uploaded it or we just record it online and then upload it like you know like it's just now nah, it's just the extra potential yeah. um yo does gifted have a youtube do we want to take a pp shit break a lot happens after you guys kind of end your little journey and uh do you continue on with the music right uh, right away or is there like a little hiatus of sorts well i feel like i'm good at storytelling because <laughs> It goes back to call centers again. Like after I left that job, Logic, I went to another call center called iOS. Mm. And uh, again, there's a lot of musicians. And then I met my boy named Diego, which is an artist, a profound artist, a producer artist, my boy. He lives in the same building as me. And um, basically, uh, profound artist. He also went to my high school, but I never knew him. And he knew one of my close friends from high school, but he was one year older than me. So I never, I never knew the older guys. I knew the younger people, but like a small world. He went to my high school, but I only met him once I went to that second job. Right. And uh, what happened with, with Diego, AKA profound artist is uh, he started this collective called um, the council. So he, every rapper that he knew, he brought us together and uh, at his house, his apartment near the college. And then we're just kind of like saying, yo, we could bring our resources together. And Montreal is a small island. We all were from different areas of Montreal. And we're like, yo, we bring our resources together. Maybe we can do something and um, kind of see what's going on. And basically, um, yeah, that started a little collective called the council. And we had a council cipher. Uh, we did a video for it. And we were like seven rappers rapping one after the other. And then we started the... Hold up. So like, you actually got y'all successfully got a bunch of people in a room to meet regularly yeah we had council meetings how did you do that like, how did y'all get people in the same room at the same time that is like how that's what i'm left with asking well, but at, at that age like early 20s everyone's kind of like hopping onto the shit like everyone's free like mm. you know when you're young that age you're always going everywhere and like whatever's your interest you always head towards it so we're what 22 maybe or i don't know maybe i'm off in my age but i was around that age and uh we just kind of decided to meet diego was the one that really pulled the strings and kind of got all of us he's kind of like the rizza of the wu-tang he he brought us uh, all together but we're, we're not like a group but we're a collective so we each had our individual brands 
but we shared resources because you know I lived in Saint Laurent, Diego lived in uh, Saint Laurent too. Uh, Guapo, he lived in Uptown, and uh, fucking Nino lived in Montreal Nord, and then Adonai lived in like Saint Michel or something. So we're all from different French and Anglophone neighborhoods. We had different connections and producers and stuff like that. So we're sharing it, you know. So we had meetings every month, not every two months, three months, stuff like that, you know. That's an interesting pace. So y'all basically didn't get too saturated with each other. You would work. To, what did you guys do at the meetings? Like, what would a council meeting be like? Oh, well, to be honest, <laughs> we're kind of like it was kind of we're kind of degenerates in a way. <laughs> So we're all like smoking, like every time we meet, we, we smoke at least like 50 joints minimum for seven people. Like, I mean, minimum. So that, that was the start of it. And then we might, we would just smoke joint after joint, drink beers, drink alcohol, talk shit. And then maybe in the last like 30 minutes, we're like, okay, guys, 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 let's actually talk about real shit. So we, the last 30 minutes, we try to reel it together. Okay. What do you got going on? Okay. What do you got going on? Okay. Show me your video. Show me your profile. Show me your song. And we're like, okay, yeah, I like that. So we give uh, commentary with like tips to improve. Uh, we help like plan our futures. Like, okay, what do you have planned? What mixtape are you dropping uh, in the next year? So we got serious in the last like 30 minutes. And we're like, okay, let's go back you know to what, drinking. Though? I'm going to say you know? something. Um, that just sounds like every meeting I've ever had <laughs> in, outside of work. Not at work. But if we did them at work, mm -hmm. my job might be a little more chill and probably equally as efficient. Because, um, yo, I was thinking as you were saying that, maybe that's a smart approach because y'all don't hate each other at the end of it. Yeah. You imagine walking in, no drinking and smoking, and straight to criticizing each other's shit. Oof, mm. That might have... You got a point, though. Because, yo, like, maybe the degeneracy, which honestly feel Because, yo... I have a team at work now, like agents that report to me, and they're in Ukraine. So it's like on me to build relationships and shit with them and like to do that team building side of life and whatnot. And it's all like super important. So it's in a sense like the team building elements before you got to the work elements because like those things go hand in hand. And I think a lot of times we forget about the fun shit. And it's like if you can't have fun with the people, nobody's going to want to hear what you have to say. That's really a big knowledge That's nugget, true. even if it's by accident. But yo, that's good that you say that because it made me think about something else too. Because uh, me and my boy Guapo, we always talk about this. Like, we feel like weed in music industry is a real, it's a tool at the same time. Because when you, a lot of conversations happen around like a joint, you know, like a weed circle, especially in the music industry. So it's a way to break the ice with like, if you're talking to a new producer, a new rapper, like you want to break the ice, you want to come up with a song concept, whatever. You know, you smoke weed, you talk about life, and eventually you'll, you'll lead towards what you want to make music about. So I we like music and, I mean, weed and sometimes drinking, too, are all linked together and also the social aspect of music, you know? I think so, too, on to a degree. I mean, I'm going to go on a limb here, so everything I say here is just my opinion. But I think there's a lot of people in music that deal with mental illness at a higher capacity. And weed in mental illness, people don't slap the way it does with motherfuckers who just get stoned and play video games all day, in my experience. It's motherfuckers who maybe balance out. Like, I mean, I smoke a copious amount of pot, but I don't remember the last time I got high high without excessive amounts of edibles or some shit, you know? Like, it just doesn't work like that no more. Meanwhile, I listen better. If I try to do this sober, and I know because I have to do it at work, 
I am way worse at like giving a shit about the nuances of your story. <laughs> so for me, at least it makes me more attentive and helps me tap into empathy, which makes me a better artist, I find. But I know for some people it's bad, but I just think the types of people who end up working in music also tend to be workaholics and a bunch of shit where all things considered, weed's one of the healthier de-stressors out there for this lifestyle. Like alcohol kind of yeah. is destructive. Other shit kind of, kind of hits heavy like that. But I think weed is. I mean, look at all the old weed smoking types that just smoked weed. They all live really old and shit. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> but yeah, we, we tapped. We tapped on a good point though. Like I, I do find a lot of musicians. Like I have a podcast where we're kind of talking about it on the podcast a little bit. Is like a lot of musicians are. Uh, they come from a bad situation. Like, you know, a lot of rappers rap about, yo, I got my new Gucci belt. I got my new Lambo, Lambo truck. But like, and we, we eat it up, right? Because they came from a place that was so like dark and like they had nothing that the way now that they show off because they came from nothing. If a rich kid that grew up with a silver spoon raps about having Lambos and chains, we're like, yo, you've been having that because like your dad gave it to you. But like the, the fact that an artist could talk about that is because he came from nothing. You don't want to hear a rapper talk about that if he, he already had that. Yeah, yo, you had that, you're six. But if you came up from nothing, and then by the time you're 21, you're like a, a millionaire rapper, you know, we're like, ah, right, you could talk shit about your, your jewelry. But also, it was a deeper point of a lot of artists have issues because to need to be able to rap or sing or anything about a, a song or go deep, 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 sorry, dig deep inside of you. That's a tongue twister. <laughs> Uh, you got to have like that attack, like a connection to your emotion or have some type of trauma to pull from to come out with beautiful songs, you know? So a yeah. lot of artistry is into that, you know? I don't know that many people who make music that don't have trauma. Even the happy music people have trauma. I mean, I'm yeah. certain they're out there. Anecdotally, I've never met them. So everybody seems like, yo, I, want, I came from some shit especially past an age if you're like past 25 and you make music like seriously you went through some shit in your life this is your outlet <laughs> you need this <laughs> um oof, as scribble said if you don't have trauma i don't want to hear your music that's a good way because yo that's, <laughs> that's get some like vapid ass shit um not to say that all music that has to have substance but not nah, I, I don't know I guess I just don't relate to people who have normal lives that are just great. Like, I don't want to hear about the person who's everything goes well and then they just won. You know, like, that's not a fun story. Um, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, I guess you linked up with new people and you started a council where y'all met up bi-monthly, fucked around, got some real camaraderie into your life, and then proceeded to bang out some ciphers and music together by a leveraged larger network capacity built on trust that trust shit that's what the drinking it gave y'all it gave y'all trust <laughs> it's hard to, for sure that's a big one i know it sounds fucking weird but like yo people put crazy money in corporate land into getting people fucked up together like let's rent a hotel and give you an open bar like why do companies <laughs> do that shit oh because there's something to the trust that gets built on the team from that um it's true so like what kind of what kind of happens with that group do you guys perform or is it mostly just like kind of making songs like do you are you doing live shows i guess is my question here throughout this process 
so personally as a as a rapper i've done i think uh three or four live shows but i think it's three and two of them were organized by cy you know cy southwest i do indeed uh he's, he's a battle rapper rapper and another one was organized by argento he goes by a1 gento now he, he's, he lives in miami now but he's from montreal so those are the three shows that performed that and those were also like my, some of the other council members performed at those CY shows as well, you know, because CY puts on artists like, well, he used to put on a lot of shows back in the day. And um, we kind of, you know, whenever, I think I might have performed at some other place, but, uh, you know, whenever one of us performed in the council, we would tell each other and we would see if there's an opportunity for someone else to perform or all of us to perform. So that was also the advantage of uh, having that council. It's kind of like a, Illuminati of Montreal, you know, sharing resources underground. But I mean, we're not really hiding from anyone, like you know. Nah, I hear you, but it's also look. I'm I'm a big fan of sharing resources. That's kind of why I like to talk about a lot of this shit really publicly, so that whoever watches this can hopefully learn some shit about the industry tactics, how to approach it. Like personally, I struggle at getting twelve people to show up in a fucking room. It's not an easy thing for me to pull off in life. However, that's like hearing just maybe it's a frequency thing. Maybe, you know, like you, you have to like look at the different variables. So hearing how you guys approach it or the benefits that you bring to the table and the way it plays out, even that gives me like ammunition. Be like, yo, check out this cancel shit I heard about, bro. Let's talk. And, you know, like that's why I love this shit. And I guess everyone else listening that too. Jumpin' Joe does have a question for you, though, and he wants to know if there was a song you feel you snapped on that you would recommend to people. Snakes was one of it. Well, it was because that's my, my newest one. But a track I would recommend for myself. I would say What About Me. Hmm. That's my other track, my track that I dropped, uh, like, two tracks before Snakes. I have a video for it, too. It's uh, I would say, you know when rappers say it's the realest shit I ever wrote? That was probably maybe in the, up there with the realest shit I ever wrote because it was after my breakup and I get I let it all out and then you know uh, I put it all out there you know so it was, it was my one of my favorite songs for myself for healing you know I like that and it's definitely honest I um I watched the video um and it's well done I was I liked it Scribble yeah thanks man Scribble hat wants to know about uh your favorite mcs because i like to get all deep and overlook the basic questions because that's what it is um if people want to tell you anyway you can answer <laughs> <laughs> well i love those types of questions because I, I i'm a rap nerd and music nerd and you know all that stuff so i like talking about albums and artists and favorites and stuff like that uh but yeah my influences for me it goes back to like you know like my siblings, you know, that early story of yeah. my siblings and music. My brother was probably my biggest musical influence because, like, uh, he's four years older than me. So, you know, he's close in age. So he put, like, the earliest memory that he put me on, he broke me on to the Chronic 2001. He was always blasting that, you know, still Dre, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, everything from Chronic 2001. That was the shit. And then the second thing I remember him putting me on to was uh, 50 Cent, Get Rich or Die Trying. He put me on on everything, like Many Men, mm. uh, fucking Somebody Gonna Die Tonight, all that good, you know, the good album cuts, you know, that like uh, really lets you know about 50. So I had that Dr. Dre 50. And then after, fast forward later, around the time I was chilling around with Chris Chrome, 2012-ish, Good Kid, Mad City came out, kind of changed my life. Like 
I feel like Kendrick put out like a visual album, like you would listen to it, like the skits were in there, the visual, like the aspect, the, the passion of the song. And I would see like the album, like that's the first album I listened to from start to finish. And I kind of saw a story through audio. So I was like, shit, Kendrick really changed my life with that album too. That is super crazy to think. Like, like, do you feel like you want to create one of those albums? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I have a lot of concept albums in my mind that I'm keeping for like when I'm ready to actually come up with the concept. But I, in one of the songs I did, I said like, uh, sorry, mama, I dropped out of psychology, the good kid, mad city, K-dot, wanna be. Right. Because I, I used to be in psychology and I was like, yo, I want to be like K-dot now, you know? I, I don't want to do psychology no more. Now I want to focus on like rap is going to be my shit, you know? Yeah, but being in so, psychology is a weird field. You're in psychology and you find out there's no money, there's no real job prospects, and chances are you're just going to work in marketing anyway. So it's either you're a therapist or a marketing person, and why the fuck are you in this field? I dropped out of psychology. So I went through like that. Because <laughs> when you like really look at it, it's like, what's the point of this field? You want to figure yourself it's, out. That's why people go into It's a psychology. lot of stupidity in it. <laughs> You have to do stupid uh, statistics classes. You have to do theses. You have to do a whole bunch of classes that you don't want to take. And then you have to stay in school, pass the doctorate, and then you don't even have a chance of sometimes maybe getting a job. You're like, yo, the fuck? I'm going to go eight years to school, nine years to school to not have a solid job? It doesn't make sense, you know? It is big facts. And then it's like nothing else is interesting at that point. So why are you in school? I don't know. I, I left. I, I, and then yeah, I couldn't pay attention. Like... I had like statistics. I was like, why am I learning about this? I want to like help people. I don't, I don't want to do no like reports or nothing. You know, I was trying to listen to people and shit like that. But Yo, high key, music that reporting like shit is, it's my whole career now. It's fucking wild how yeah, that yeah. stat shit, the quantitative methods and the, the fucking all of the, the Sejep shit. Bro, it taught yeah. me enough stat shit to bullshit my way into bigger stat shit to bullshit my way into bigger stat shit. And now I just know stat <laughs> shit. And it's like, shit. I literally go through data and make Excels and PowerPoints and shit and explain to my boss how my department, you know, like it's actually like wildly some of the most relevant things I've ever learned in my life was that stat shit. <laughs> that, it, you know what, it, ironically, it's the Pythagoras shit that everyone goofs on has been the most profitable oh, thing for me to ever learn in my life. That's crazy. It's even like it's music. like you faked it till you make it. But even like music, I find it's like a giant algebra equation. Like when I hear a beat, like let's say you gave me a beat right now, I'm gonna look at it like you set up like an algebra equation, and my job as a, as a rapper is to balance that equation like with an equal sign in the middle, so that what I do just hits it perfect, at least to the math equation okay. I'm running on. So for me, like music and math is highly correlated. I mean, it's way less artistic when I describe it, but like arts communication and then the music's like a, a way of doing it, you know? It is kind of scientific, even if it's not. Yeah, I've been telling people like music is kind of a mix of math, science, like psychology and emotion, you know? Because mm. it's like you have to know the frequencies when you're EQing your stuff, you know, like what EQ portions to cut out, you know, low, low pass, high pass. All that type of stuff you need to know how to fill the whole track you know like the frequency values and like you can't peak so there's a volume level so that's math so there's a whole bunch of math and science like that's what i'm learning more and more as much as more as i'm learning about producing is it's a lot of math you have to know how to like the numbers like you know if you're transposing a key 
You have to know how many semitones to move it. If it's from C to D, they can move one semitone. All that is math, you know? Yes. So, Facts. Do you produce too and you rap? Like, how, what do you I do? Like, do not style produce do? that much. I made a beat in FL Studios once because I had a dream with a bass line and I woke up and I said, I'm going to make a beat today. And that was the one and only beat I ever made. But I became my own little fucking recording engineer this year. So I do a bullshit vocal mix, but I know a lot now about recording and placing vocals. I know all about the pocket, bro. I know how to slice my voice and put it perfectly. It doesn't matter if I wrap it perfectly anymore. Unless I fuck up a delivery, I can move it now. And I figured all that shit out this year. But mostly, um, That's crazy. I rap. I did the songwriting and I was that lazy motherfucker that just... And I could, I could afford to pay my dude, call center friend. He's my dude to this day. Mm-hmm. Makes me beats. And, you know, I've been copying beats off of him mostly for most of my career. Um, He'd just been my engineer for most of my career. So it's like, I didn't even know that people didn't buy beats and shit till later on. I didn't even know that you didn't do that. It was a wild discovery. Um, and not to say you shouldn't. I just didn't know that you didn't do that until later on. Um, that's a little c- a commentary on a lot of people. Um, but like, yeah, so because of that, um, I never really learned a lot of it. And then COVID came. Uh, not even COVID. Um, we start. We built the studio in here for podcasting in 2016-ish, 17. So at a certain point, it was like we did a test and I could record vocals at my crib and ship them. And it was like, bro, I'm never going to your crib again. No offense, but like, why? I can smoke weed in my room here. I can't smoke weed in your room there. And um, yeah, so I started learning how to record. <clears throat> and I'm a shitty engineer, so I just learned how to use my voice. So I didn't have to learn how to do things. And that's been more my process. But there's latency and you have to compensate. You have to move it no matter what. With my setup, there's latency issues. So I had to learn how to fucking deal with the recording side. And then people will come over. And then I found out that now I just record people. If you come to the crib and you're going to be on the song, I'm the guy. I'm the control R stopper slider but then I'm the one who has to line up the ad libs because I realized why am I paying my dude to line up my ad libs? That's stupid. Why am I paying my dude yeah. to put myself in the pocket? That's stupid. So I kind of learned a lot about that shit. So I don't know that I'm an engineer, but I, I think I'm a recording engineer. I think that's a fair assessment to add to my profile of shit at this point. Like you could put me in a studio with other people's gear and I can get their shit on and then hand it off to somebody else. Okay, it's pretty good. Yeah, because usually there's like a recording engineer and then there's a mixing engineer that's more like going to go mix it down and like especially like good, you know, recordings are usually when you're the process of doing like the tracks, and yeah. like the back vocals, the ad libs. Yeah, like, all that stuff. I had to like, you know, I had to learn a lot about mic control and then I had to learn like, yo, one time I had a girl come through and like we recorded it wrong. And that was a mistake in my life that created a lot of problems because of one fuck up. And so now I had to learn that too close can be a problem and that you have to like, and everybody's voice is different. So some people, like I'm quiet. I found out I'm a quiet recorder and half the motherfuckers that I know are yellers and shit. So it's like all this shit comes into it. Um, Yo, what's up, Preach? Preach told me to yell one time when he was watching me or not yell, but get louder and put more energy in while I was recording live. Is that the... Sorry. Is that from Abba and Preach? No, it's Preach and Cobia. That's a good question. Though. Oh, okay. I should, that's a, okay. <laughs> never had that question. That's a good question. But yeah, so. Yeah, I watch their content. Do you so, like yeah. them? Yeah, they're pretty cool. I watch their stuff and they're from Montreal. So uh, it's pretty cool. I, I even saw Preach once at uh, Blue Dog. Mm, 
That's dope. I don't think I've ever been to Blue Dog. It's just never worked it's out. It's a big hip hop spot. Like I know, but it's also like 11 p.m. start times is like hella fucking popular. And I'm a nine to five guy, like, and I'm I'm not. I just don't. I just don't have it in me to like fucking go to a show till three in the morning or whatever, and then go to work the next day and be good at my job. Like it's not gonna happen anymore. So I I just yeah I don't go to shit <laughs> that much. I mean I have to like plan vacations and shit. Yo, what's up, Gremlin? Yo, people be coming through and just chatting. It's dope. You'll see it all after in the video. That's dope. All the chat pops up through it, so you can like peruse that after. Um, yeah, I'm gonna check that out. Definitely. That's cool. So back on that call center grind. So you were doing a second call center with the council. You had a couple of mm -hmm. shows via CY and your peeps went through and did that. Um, is the council still a thing or did it like have an ending point? Um, so it's a bit like, uh, like we're kind of still in touch, but uh, like, let's say two of the members got kids now and you know, they're a bit less focused on music. Um, it's mostly like we have four members now that are more active, like me, Guapo, Profound Artist, and Jay Citos. Uh, so we're like four now. We used to be kind of seven and eight. There was also some beef with some people that left, but it's all water under the bridge once again. And uh, you know, now we're like mostly four people, but we don't really do meetings as much because we have a like group chat, so we mostly talk like that. And uh, sometimes like. I just go chill and like two or two or three of the members were together and from time to time we chill, you know, and just record shit because all of us have a setup, a studio setup at home. So every time we chill at home, we always record something and stuff like that, you know. So that's basically been like your main, I guess, association since the the first thing is to be with the council and then it never ended. That's actually pretty fire. How how long has that been? That's like five, six years now. Uh, since 2013. Holy shit! So that's probably eight going years. on nine, nine, nine years at this point. Or 2022. Sheesh! I, I haven't even thought about it. It's nine years. You know, they say people that you know for more than six, seven years are like friends for life. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I heard somewhere that your whole like cells regenerate like every seven years and shit. So like you're technically oh, like a completely different person. And if I thought about at least my life, yo, every seven years for sure, there's something else. Like, yo, I'm about to turn 35 next year. It feels like Sheesh. like the next whatever is right there. I don't know what it is yet. And it's wild, right? Like, I like numbers like that. I feel like there's something to it, but. um, <laughs> Yeah, like num numbers, numbers is, I've been talking about that to my brother. Cause my brother's four years older than me. So he's about to turn, to turn uh, 33, mm. which is the, they call it the, age of christ because that's the year jesus christ died so i, I was always telling that like yo you're about to be the jesus age and then uh i know i'm obsessed with numbers too like when i turned 25 i, I felt the change you know i felt like a, you know you feel turning 25 because like you're turning the page on your 20s now i'm 29 it's the last year of my 30s i'm like fuck another turn of the page i'm like i'm about to enter my 30s time to step it up to the next level so it's always like stepping stones when you think about numbers like that i like that step it up to the next level though so you're not afraid of getting older nah man because think about it like people are cra thinking crazy about 30 about 40 like oh i'm getting old but yo I, I plan on living probably to like 85 so if i turn 30 i still have like what 60 65 years maybe left or something like that 
So actually, no, 50, 55 years, my bad, I'm bad in math. <laughs> a lot of life left, but the bigger half is still left. Yeah, you're not, it's not even half of your life. People are freaking out about 30, bro. Like you could do so much shit. Like I've seen 80 year olds, like convention, like 250 pounds, Facts. buff, ripped and you're like, I, healthy. So, and I just read this book, um, Homo Deus by the dude that wrote Sapiens. And he was saying that like historically people just live to like all the shit except for all the germs and shit that kill us. And as we get rid of things that kill us, more of us should just live to that age. And as science progresses, mm -hmm. we are seeing that shit. But I love the idea you wanted to live to 85. Honestly, I watched that Grace and Frankie show on Netflix and I was like, say word, these old people are lit. Like they fucking smoke herbs <laughs> and they taught me about old people lube and other issues but i was like nah say word this is like not a boring existence these people have it might not be like fucking fast-paced or whatever but it also looks pretty awesome it looks like there are good things to retire into if you stack your life in a particular way which is kind of how i look at the future yeah for sure because i i think like I always talk about this to my friends. Like, I think, like, by the time we're, like, that old, we'll be half, like, metal and shit, like, bionic and, like, android. Like, what if your liver stops working? Oh, artificial liver, boom. Like, robotic liver. Like, all that type of shit. Like, we're going to become androids and going to live, like, way longer. So we don't know. There's a lot of technology that's coming. Bro, they're literally doing shit like that right now. Like, like my boy, he likes to make comics and shit, but he's also losing his eyes. Like, it's not even, like, a maybe. Okay. It's, like, he got, like, six, seven years of vision left. But it turns out uh, the people who are doing the weird cyberpunk 2077 shit in real life are at the point where they can, like, repair eyes with, like, robot eyes. And, like, there is... Damn. I ended up finding a slash cyberpunk on Reddit. Not 2077. Regular cyberpunk. And it's, like, this fucking Reddit where they share the latest in prosthetics and robotic technology and all this type of shit that you were just describing and like yo it's like high key like if they keep progressing a lot of things like eyes and ears and various organs can get very replaceable it's creepy yeah. it's a psychological mindfuck but it's also really cool and i fucking love that shit i'm super into it like i'm just i mean i was into star trek and shit so like i already got on that futuristic <laughs> android robot shit for a minute but yeah it's coming and like, yeah, it's kind of like Scribble just said, man playing God. I mean, China going to be doing it either way. So, I mean, it's not like we have Made in China. Nah, baby slicing jeans over there, bro. It's not even like a if. They just be doing it because they can and who the fuck can stop them. So the tech's going to get built. Pandora's box is open. It's over. Whether that's good yeah. or bad. <laughs> um, I digress. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Did you at any point decide to really start to push the beats in a more like professional kind of capacity? Because I know you were doing the rapper group and you have like the rapper theme. But now when we look you up, there's like the, the beat store. Also, another big question. When did it stop being Chris Cash the Gifted and become Gifted with three eyes? <laughs> I had a lot. I had a couple name change, name changes. Like even as a, uh, I started as my first producer name was DJ Truth. Like when I started on GarageBand and then when I flipped to like FL Studio, then I changed like, I think I was Chris Cash at first. And then that was like the high school period. And when I met Chris Chrome, I think that's when I flipped it to Chris Cash to Gifted. I added the Gifted part. 
Because like while they came out with an album, I think called The Gifted at the time, I was like, yo, I fucks with that. I like that. And I feel like my life reflects that too. I'm like, shit, kind of gifted. With three And the three eyes, uh, I think, I don't know. At one point during the maybe last four years, I think I switched to a gifted with three eyes. Because first of all, Chris Cash, The Gifted was too long. It sounded too old school. And uh there's a lot of other people named that too on the internet but gifted with three eyes i was trying to find a way to be creative i was like do i do it with an x like gifted but i was like yeah a golden child already has that in montreal so i'm like yeah fuck the x so i did three eyes because like kendrick also had a song called the high power right and uh, three eyes like the third eye you know like the consciousness and stuff like that and it also can mean like intelligence imagination imprisoned Because a lot of people, like, they're in the routine, but they don't use their imagination or intelligence. They're just in the box. So all that is into one. Like, the third eye, the three eyes. Mm. And, you know, SEO purposes, when you Google me with three eyes, mostly I come up. I can't get the Twitter page gifted or Instagram page because someone else has it. So on Instagram, I'm the gifted one with three eyes. But apart from that, if you Google me, like, all my pages come up on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Music, and all that stuff, you know? That is the best plug anyone's ever done for their shit in my like whole history because it was a good marketing lesson and I like that. And <laughs> while you were describing <laughs> that shit, Scribble goes, um, does the third eye represent the third eye? And I swear almost like clockwork, it like lined up with you saying that. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, I'm going to copy and paste the Instagram because I have it right over here, y'all. Give me a second. There it is. Perfect, perfect. Yo, so when people have Instas that you want, bro, they can charge. It ain't usually free to get Instas that you want if somebody knows you want them. Yeah, it's true. I heard that it's a, it's also a tactic that people use. It's like let's say an NBA player is about to go to the NBA, like a college player. Uh, someone buys their name as a website, like JalenGreen.com, just because they know that once they get to the NBA. Like, they might want to buy that website to use it for their own shit. So people buy that. Like, it's like stocks, but, like, a different version. Like, I've heard of people doing shit like that. Like, domain, Yo, buying domains facts. before a, whole, a company. That's a whole hustle. Um, I know people that, like, actually made money on it. Like, they would just look for domain names. Like, it's, it's also a way to snipe your ops, in a sense, in this marketing game. You find out, like, let's say I, I was mad at Scribble, let's say. <clears throat> and Scribble.com was available. Or let's go with Canadian situations. You're Elon Musk and you own liar.com and you redirect it to Justin Trudeau's <laughs> face. Um, so yeah. it's like you have situations like that where if you can buy the right domain names, you control the right people. So it's like honestly watch yeah. for when people's domains go up if you don't like somebody. I'm not suggesting you should do it, but it's an opportunity. <laughs> um, shit. And then, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of like shit that goes on with companies like that or – uh, at one point, somebody got offered $25,000 for their name. It was my homeboy Clarity because he had just had Clarity, but he turned oh, it down because he's like, nah, fuck that. I'm Clarity. And then he changed his name anyway. <laughs> but like, that's like <laughs> a real thing where as long as it's, um, as long as it is a valued domain that anybody wants and you own it, it is a commodity that is as valuable as any NFT or crypto asset in the way that logic works, except that that is regulated. It's a real thing. Although, yeah, you got to sure. be real. At this point, you're like fucking gambling like a motherfucker. And you really are going to have to be the first one <laughs> to cop the domain, the first like person right after the fucking thing pops up. However, one, yeah. one time I saw ICP's domain was down. I'm just going to throw it out there like the insane clown posse. 
ICP, okay. <laughs> but yeah, some some domains are expensive. Like, so just if you're paying for the one, like hoping that it'll be big, and you're just paying it and nothing happens, you're like, oh shit, I'm paying for a bunch of domains for no reason. <laughs> That's exactly it. On the other hand, if you get lucky, psh, payday. But it's it's luck at that point. However, in 2000, that was a real thing. That was like big money was made doing that. It was wild. Yeah, the dot com bubble. Yeah. Gary V always talks about that shit. Mm, you like Gary V? I mean, this is the thing. I have a love hate relationship with Gary V because, like, the way it's set up is like, if you've seen one of his content, you have you've seen all of his content. So I was heavy into Gary V for like six months during the pandemic. I was watching every video, and then at one point I stopped. I'm like, yo, he's saying the same thing. Like, go on LinkedIn, go on TikTok, get an NFT. And like he always says that, oh, you're young. Don't say that shit. Tell your mom, fuck you. Like he says the same shit. Like I've got what I, I what I've got. I, I've got enough from him to go on with my life. I don't need to watch more of his content because I find it's I won't get any more information from what he's saying now. You know. Super interesting. Um, I don't know. I couldn't get into Gary Vee. I don't have. I have. I have a love hate relationship with him. I think he's got his purpose <laughs> in life. Um, yeah. I just. <laughs> Yo, his company's wild. They do some wildly interesting advertising campaigns. But when you're a top-tier marketer, it's like your job is to generate traffic. And then I'm trying to do the same thing in my life. So who the fuck am I to really talk, you know? I'm, it's not lost on me. But damn, Gary Vee's wildly popular. And Scribble says, fuck yeah. that guy. I don't know. <laughs> I never I never learned anything from Gary Vee, to be honest. I had already read everything Gary Vee ever said in a book or some shit before I heard Gary Vee say it. So, like, I just never personally, he's never played that role to me. So, I've always kind of had the feeling you've had with his content. But then I just know a lot of people who have benefited from his content. So, it's like, yo, he clearly plays a role in the world. You know, a lot of people fucks with that shit and it motivates them. And what am I going to say to hate on that? That would just make me a hater, you know? But that's my inner conflict with Gary V. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm glad we have both the conflict with him yeah. somehow. <laughs> it's, it's cool. I appreciated that too. Um, so yeah, you basically become gifted with the three eyes because of the third eye. And you're kind of cruising around in the world. And at what point do you start to like, like, are you hustling beats the whole time? Or is it like kind of just the thing you're doing on the side for yourself? Uh, well, I mean... Like, uh, during the, like the period, the cloud nine MG period, I was focusing on just making beats for the team and for myself. But I, I, after towards the council period, like, I think that's shortly when I started shortly before I started my beat store, cause I have a beat stars where I, I, I they host my beat store, right. which is like a full page. And I have my own domain, which I use through beat stars basically. And what I try to do starting from like 2013, 14, 15, I started to post on YouTube. And I tried to do like basically one beat every week. Like I was trying to force myself to basically finish one beat a week to be able to post. Cause you make it, you can make beats that are just like whatever that don't sound good. But I was focusing on making one full beat that would sound good to post on the internet. And then I did that for a while. And then at one point I was like, okay, maybe I should turn it up to three beats a week. So I started doing that. Uh, but recently I kind of stopped posting altogether to my beat store. Because what I realize is like, once you're on the hamster wheel, if you're really trying to finish a beat in order just to post it, it may not be as quality as a beat that you would take more time on and put more time in just to really go through it and see what uh, put add as variation. So 
I kind of decided to kind of stop for a bit to recreate my sound, like, you know, watch more tutorials, try to make more beats, spend more time on beats to, to get the quality up. And then I'm soon, I should be getting back to putting maybe three beats a week, try to get the momentum because BeatStars, it's all about posting, posting. BeatStars, YouTube, uh, so we'll talk about the number of times you post per week, if it's the same times per week uh, of the week, at the same time of the day, in that day of the week. So all that goes into it. So I'm going to start trying to really post at the same times. Hold up. BeatStars has an week, algorithm and, like that too? Uh, yeah, because I read a post from BeatStars saying use these tips to be successful. And it said uh, post three times a week, have an email list, have a YouTube. And, you know, it helps the algorithm because then the more you're on there, the more people have the chance of seeing you. And then, uh, you know, also the, it, the system, the algorithm kind of rewards you for being consistent. And uh, if people always come back every time you post, you know, so the more you post, the more people come back. So it's all a snowball stuff. And eventually uh, I'm also at the same time I'm posting, try to link up with artists, contact them via Instagram and try to build my email list and stuff like that, you know? So when it says you have free beats all over your YouTube, how free are those free beats? Uh, the thing is, uh, the free beats is uh, a feature on, on BeatStars that like it lets you download the beat for free with a tag, but you can't really use it for anything but SoundCloud kind of thing, you know? That's the free version. So you attract the customer through the, the free offer. If like some level of artists, they, that's all they do. They make a song to post, post it to SoundCloud. So and artists be saying free beats all over YouTube. They don't mean the beat be free? It's free in certain conditions. <laughs> That's what it means. Like you can get this, this, this for free, but if you want more usage of the beat, then you book a buy a lease, basically some MP3 lease, and there's different versions of leases, and then it goes all the way to exclusive. So those are kind of like the. I mean, I guess I just assumed margins. it was like in that low end, under 30k stream, blah blah blah. You're basically not going to make any money on this level. When I see free, I just picture that. But I never really picture that you can't put it on Spotify because it says free. Whereas technically, a yeah. lot of these leases would prohibit that because any commercial gain. And I know for a fact that just on the word free, that confused the shit out of me because this was a revelation to me that the word free might mean something different because of BeatStars. Yeah. I had no idea. So it's like a marketing thing. Like when it, all the YouTube beats, like it's the, the trend is uh, type beats. But also they attach free to it at the beginning, like because it gives it an extra boost. Like if you if you just write it without it, like it gets less views in the algorithm or but something none like of these that. Because you know, people are see really free, free. And... they just free. Yeah, exactly. It's just like free. The very basic version of it is free. But if you you want to do more with it, then then you you arrange like a different type of contract or agreement. You know. Nah, I hear you. I mean, I'm not even against any of that. I just did not realize yeah. how liberally the word free was being used when I see free beats all over the internet. Like, I just figured, yeah, whatever. I could jack that shit. It's cool. It says it's free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I have not. But, uh, I, I'm, I'm saying because I don't. I haven't really done Every beat you've seen me put out on my Spotify, I talk to the producer, just to be clear. But like. Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, if I was a different person, I would I would have honestly just assumed I could. And that's some real shit. Like it's it was like I'm still processing that. Um but no. Yeah. Licensing's not important. And so you're saying motherfuckers need to be um hitting up the beat makers to be confirming all of these free beats they see on the internet because they're not really free beats. 
Yeah, exactly. Like the real free beat that you might get from a producer is if you know him, like, you know, you DM him on Instagram and you say, hey, uh, can I get a free beat or whatever? You come to an agreement or free beat and then he gives it to you. That's the only time you can really consider it free because he'll probably even give you a contract that you said uh, that says, oh, we paid zero dollars and you get these, these, these rights or a verbal agreement. If whatever, if it's your friend, like a producer might just give you a free beat. Yeah. Like that. But if it's not like that transaction and you say free or something like that, always make sure to look at the, if there's a contract attached to it and what the contract says. And, you know, because like there's a lot of tools like a content ID where if there's a tag of producer or like the beat is uh, you put uploaded to that, it searches it everywhere on the Internet. And then you get your YouTube strike like copyright if you upload the beat that has the same producer tag or the beat that he already uploaded to the content id stuff so it's like so a whole can, algorithm like, you can stamp just your your like beat maker tag and it will look for your tag being stolen or something yeah it could find just your tag on a, on a beat if someone has it on their song that's fucking wild i didn't even know it could be like that because that way i see how that works because then you don't have to worry about tagging your beats every single time you just do the one registration of your beat tag put your beat tag all over the beats okay and that's how beat yeah, makers yeah, yeah. steal the copyright on the internet rappers <laughs> i mean yeah <laughs> like uh, yeah it's, it's like uh there's, there's one called youtube content id but i think that one had shut down for a bit and now there's no one through BeatStars where you could upload the uh, the actual mp3 of the beat and the tag or whatever and then uh it kind of helps you track whoever's using it on the internet stuff like that do you know? people steal your beats i mean if they did i don't know about it <laughs> i haven't found out but i don't i haven't had a personal experience with that yet you know mm. that's fair do you get a lot of people buying beats um well mostly like I mostly do beats for like, you know, the people in the council and like other rappers I know and myself, but like on the internet side, because I wasn't consistent and like at first maybe my quality wasn't as good as it might be now, like I didn't get much sales, but when I'm like, I'm recreating my sound now and going to step it up, I should try, I'm trying to get like my email list and my consumer, my client list kind of built up now, you know, that's going to be my next goal. Because mm. the thing is, it's a gift and a curse, no pun intended, that like I, I rap and I produce because I feel like sometimes I'm more like I'm producing a lot, a lot, a lot. I'm not rapping. And sometimes I'm rapping a lot. I'm focused on my own songs, but I'm not producing for other people. So it's like a real pendulum. I, have, I may have ADHD too. So sometimes my brain switches like producer mode, rapper mode, and it sticks. So this period of time now I've been focused on making visit music videos, putting out new songs on my Spotify. So I haven't been focusing on putting beats out on my beat stars. And when I do the opposite, then I don't focus on making songs enough. So I'm trying to find that balance and have it at the level where the efficiency matches on each side, you know? Yeah, I don't know how to do it either, bro. I'm not even going to lie to you. It's either I'm focusing on music and that shit suffers, and then I'm focusing on that shit and that shit suffers. Every single time I leave music behind, though, I get mad. So I have to go back and make a song or something. But, yo, that balance shit is, is really hard. It's fucked. Like literally, yeah, I've been trying to not book people on Saturdays for like all year, and it just keeps happening because it's just it, it. I just it just keeps happening, and it's not because I don't want to, but it's like whatever. But it's just like you try to build, and it's like damn, eh? And then all the middle part. But it, what advice do you have for people with regards to the beat making hustle? 
outside of play in the algorithm in terms of building relationships with people from like the beat maker side of it like i know all about the rapper side of it be nice to beat makers mm -hmm. actually just offer them money it goes a very long way for that's my biggest advice to rappers but like what would you say to beat makers coming into this and other producers like how would you approach it to avoid some of the early pitfalls that you made in the beginning uh, well, the early pitfalls, well, I would say as advice, because, uh, you know, producers are a lot of people, a lot of times introverted, like I would consider myself introverted too. Like, you know, you're, you're by yourself in your room, but you're creating a whole vibe that some people might jam at a club at or might jam at a lounge spot at. So you're imagining the, the vibe in your head while you're sitting in your room by yourself. So you're kind of an introverted person. So to be able to connect with like artists and like people to expand your network, you should try and kind of, uh, I mean, I don't want to encourage anyone to smoke weed, but it goes back to what I said earlier. Weed is kind of a social tool sometimes if you hang around people. But I mean, you don't even have to do that. You don't have to do all that stuff, but you could connect with people through activities like basketball. Like if you know artists play basketball, like for example, this summer, Nate Husser pulled up at a park where I used to play basketball. I didn't show up that week. I was like, fuck. I could have guarded him on defense and said, yo, I got beats, I got beats in his ear while I'm guarding him. Yo, well, actually, I, mean, I went to that shit. It was a hot day. Like, it was it was a dope event. It was really cool. The whole basketball. Was it the, the, t yeah. the tournament Yeah, because Balarama Holness was going there, and I was trying to get him for an interview. So I went more for <laughs> But it also, like, Squad was going to be there, and I never met Squad before, and I, so I wanted to meet Deucey. And Okay. Because, like. And then it just so happened that it was the Nate Husser basketball tournament event. And that just was circumstantial to all the other reasons I wanted to go. I got to meet Husser. And then he, I was like, damn, dude, short. Oh, I was like, I didn't know that. <laughs> I was like, that was my first thought. I, mean, I know that's like the thingy thing. But like for people who don't know, like arguably Husser is the, one of the closest things to rap celebrity types we got up on the English scene. Like, there's not yeah, many people in the English scene that could, like, walk into a room and have other people be like, oh, my God, Nate Husser's here. But that shit, I've seen it happen. So, like, that's a real thing in this city. And so, like, I met yeah. dude and whatnot. I was trying not to be a dork about it. I was probably a dork about it. Um, <laughs> and then. Uh, yeah. Because it was, um, it was, no, but it wasn't at that tournament. Because mm, there's another thing called Sunday, Sunday Ball Club. Fair. I used to go to that last summer. And he pulled up once, and I didn't go that week. I was like, shit, oh, I should have okay, pulled okay. up. Yeah. Right. But I, I also have seen the, the tournament stuff on his Instagram and stuff like that. But um, anyways, yeah, go, the, going back to the advice, like maybe connecting through activities. And even if you don't leave your house, connect through IG. Try and expand your beats. Put, put in a, one of the pre, like the, the things people think when they start producing is like, oh, I don't want to put my beats too much places so people steal my beats. But if your name is not even out there, the, your name is not there enough to, for them to steal your beats. So you have to have visibility. People might steal your beats, but it's the cost of like growing and having your stuff more places and try to basically try to DM artists. Um, but the thing is, don't DM any artist. DM an artist that you fucks with their music. Like don't DM an artist that's the style that you don't like. Have that synergy with an artist that you work with. Uh, if you listen to a lot of like Juice World and stuff like that, Find an artist that sounds like Juice World on Instagram. Listen to his stuff, like actually connect with his stuff, and then message him. Be like, "Yo, uh, I love this, this, this about your track. I'm a producer, and then kind of you know, like you're talking to a regular person. Try to get to that level. And uh, yeah, that's what would be my advice to young producers. You know, because a lot of introverts aren't producing stuff like that. You know, facts.
I never thought about it like that, but just to have that skill set of putting yourself in another vibe entirely while sitting in your room is an entire skill set that I've I've literally never thought about. Um, Scribble brought up Spotify as an issue in terms of like it's it's comp- comparing what you're saying to being around people and being everywhere. Like you kind of have to have your music on Spotify if you have no reach because frankly you have no reach you got to be on Spotify like people think that like you can just force people to go to Bandcamp but like yo i ain't never seen anybody pull off that hustle the go to my ba- i mean if they, there are people people will throw googles at me but i personally in the hundreds of rappers i've met not met one of them pull off the Bandcamp hustle but i've seen people pull off all the other hustles so Arguably, I don't know if that's the move. Whereas being on Spotify, my fucking mom might bump you. <laughs> it's just the facts of the situation. True. Okay, like I don't know, grandma. I found out a grandma bumped one of my songs once, and I know it's because it's on the streaming services. No grandma's coming across my <laughs> shit otherwise. Um, <clears throat> but with that, would you put out like beats on Spotify? Because I saw your like music, music on Spotify. But would you just like run the whole beat album game? Cause that shit's kind of fire to me, and I would just bump beats sometimes from people. Like Vince Price does that shit. Yeah, I've been thinking about that, doing that, like uh, probably doing like beat tapes where it's like a whole beat, a mixtape full of beats, and then I would drop it under like a different name or Gifted Beats on Spotify. So I play with the idea of doing that. But um, while you were talking too, it made me think about something about like the marketing of music. Like you're talking about Spotify and all that. Like, you know, it's the hardest era of, like, music that I think about. Remember when the, when you would see the only way for an artist to get, like, his music out was going with a mixtape on the street, trying to sell it to you before you even hear it. Imagine, think about that. Someone on the street's like, yo, I, ra- I rap the hardest. Like, he might rap for you something on the spot, but you have to buy his CD, not even knowing what it sounds like. And then they pulled it off. Some people were selling Thousands. the CDs out of trunks and stuff in that era and like us fast forward to us we're like on Spotify I'm sitting in my home uploading it to Spotify and that's it you know so oh, I mean it's crazy arguably they're <coughs> they're super similar but really different hustles because yo I could never compete in that shit I'm not an in-person salesman like that I could do B2B yeah. I can't do B2C very well and that's a very B2C game and it's like I, I yeah I don't know how to do it I'm, I'm not great <clears throat> Um, but then we got to this weird ass internet version of it where all of a sudden you just have to think abstractly and understand marketing and psychology and shit. And you're like, Oh, say word. I can just identify holes in markets and I don't have to leave my crib. Cause like, I might be a little more extroverted, but I'm really socially awkward. So it puts me okay. in a similar position as being introverted. I'm just a weirdo in the corner at the party. I want to grab the okay. mic and take all the attention. I'm just a little shy. I mean, okay so you're you're introverted extrovert i think it's shy extrovert is the way i've heard it described because now nah, like on the real i'm an extrovert i'm not really introverted at all but like i'm not as bold as somebody that just commands the room once the room is given to me i'll fucking take that room and you can't even have it back if you are the guy to grab the mic and i'll own it but like it's really hard for me to just take it in the first place yeah well me i I always grew up shy but like i I find i trained myself like because you know i was always into psychology even younger like i was i trained myself to get out of the shyness you know it goes back to like the church playing piano like you know my anxiety back then and then you know it it goes back to when i went back to music i had to you know deal with anxiety and stuff like that 
But uh, like I remember even at some point, uh, I, when I used to work at iOS, like around the council era, I used to go to this place on Mondays, I think it's Bar Le Vinyl, and they had like a jam session. I forgot the name of the jam session, but it was like a really dope spot. Bar Le Vinyl near Metro Saint Laurent. Right. Uh, with like, you know, Vincent Steven Trong, I think. You know, oh, the, say, saxophone that guy and, is a name to pay attention drums. to. He does Le Cypher now. And he does the cipher. That's that was exactly where I went. Oh my god, at Le... that's amazing. That was, I used to go back there back in the day, okay. Uh, okay, Bar Le Vinyl. So I used to go there, and then they, you know, they do a jam session, they got the saxophone player, the drums, the people on the keyboard, and then at some point it becomes an open mic. So to go get over my shyness, I used to be like, yo, boom, let me just force myself to go on open mic. Me and my boy Felix used to go, and then uh, you just spit whatever they let you, they play the band plays. And I was just spitting. Sometimes it wasn't so good. Like I would fail. People wouldn't hear me. But eventually I went back weeks after weeks. And then I got a little bit better every time I went. And there was some good moments, you know, like, and there was some bad moments. But it's all experience. And then they, it helped me with stage presence even from back then, you know. That's a big event. Because for the people that may not know, this isn't just like a DJ. This is like a full-on live-ass fucking band with brass instruments and shit. Like, it's fucking big and it's loud. I only went for the first time ever in COVID, like, in that little period. Okay. Do you remember Do you remember in 2021 when Quebec said we could dance? It was that, yeah, it was that week. <laughs> it was that week. Okay. they made a big noise about it. And then... Within okay. a month, it was all over, and we were back to the current reality. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, it was sad. So I went to see it then, and it was a vibe, man. And it's like it really is more like learning to do improv band freestyling more than it is because you got to not just be like, it's not like a beach just playing. It's you got to got a vibe with the people. So that's like a big flex. Yeah. Uh, did you ever? Did you end up meeting like? A bunch of Montreal hip hop folk there, because from what I understand, like everybody ended up going there except for me, because it was Thursdays at eleven p.m. and I said, "What the fuck?" And I <laughs> it was at ten eleven. I remember, but um, you know, the biggest thing I got out of there is they used to take they used to be a photograph there every week. I got a sick picture from there that I use still on to this day on my artist profile. <laughs> oh, it's, sick. it's like a picture of me. I have a like a black hat, like a camo, like a dress shirt or something like that. And then, like, the whole band is, like, jamming, and I have the mic. So uh, that was an epic picture I kept from, from those days. But, uh, I mean, artist-wise, uh, I mean, I, I still have Vincent on Facebook, uh, Vincent uh, Steven. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I really don't remember his full name, but, like, I think it's the Vincent guy he plays saxophone. Steven Org or Ong or something. I, like, I have him on Facebook, yeah. too. I, I met him that day and, like, said, what's up? but I don't really know how to say his name in full, but everybody loves him and he does a lot of behind the scenes promotion work. He really is that guy that puts shit together and brings people together and really does a lot of shit where like, oh, he's that guy that people act like doesn't exist when they bitch about how people aren't actually doing things, but they never bothered to go to one event and see what he's actually doing. He's that guy. Yeah. And I had to like, I got nothing but respect for him. Everything I ever learned about him is he's really that dude. And he's just done it for like since what, 2012, 13, just running shit for the city. And you know who I, uh, you, well, sorry to cut you off, but you know, who I discovered too over there is uh, the DJ, like uh, Dr. Mad. He's the DJ there sometimes. This guy is sick, man. He's a sick DJ. I think he's, he might have came from France. 
and he lives in Montreal, but like a sick DJ, Dr. Mad. Mm. And I also think I met uh, Monk E over there. I think I met Monk E once. He was just freestyling outside, like outside the bar, like when it was the break or something. I was like, oh shit. And then we kind of talked for a little bit. He's a cool guy. I don't know if you ever heard about him. No, I know Monkey. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting him at end of the week Quebec barbecue in 2020. And oh my God, does that man have a presence when he's rapping? I, I'm not like, that's, that's what I'm, I was yeah. in the circle with these dudes. I didn't really realize how forceful you have to be to rap with people. Like, I didn't understand. I'm not, like, from cypher circles and shit. I'm geek on the internet studying lyrics that are printed out on the internet rapper guy. Now I'm in a circle yeah. with all these end of the week. A monkey, bro, he just owns it. Like, every second person rapping is monkey. And it's usually really dope, very flamboyantly colorful. I got I interviewed him, actually, um, October, November, sometime, whatever, recently, before I went to Senegal. Because he's in Senegal okay. now. Or some other place. Yeah, I saw. Uh, just turning up on some fucking crazy experience out there. Um, yeah, I saw DMS post about it. Like, oh, Monkey's turning up Africa. And then you had a big crowd, like, you know, hyping him up and shit. I was like, damn, yeah. this guy got some fan base, you know? It's, I'll be out on it. It's less fan base um, and more actually playing the game properly. Um, like... Monkey's connected to the right people and has enough of a resume to be able to apply for things like crazy opportunities and get it because he's been like doing this shit since he's like 16. He was doing like international tours and shit representing various groups and organizations and like realistically all those festivals and things you see, like there's a lot of paperwork and administrative logistical stuff that goes into the people getting into it. And the reason most of us don't get involved as I came to learn is we didn't learn the business and who the business is. Cause it's not what the business is. It's who the business is. And guys like monkey find opportunities cause they know who the business is and they're just yeah. always there and they provide crazy value. Like monkey shows up and can just do a fucking mural adds value so it's not just that he's a rapper it's like all this extra shit that makes him this commodity that means it doesn't matter what his fan base is he's this guy from canada turn up just like if you as a montreal artist go anywhere they'll be like this dude's from montreal turn up and they probably will yeah you know what i just like i find about montreal is like uh well i don't know maybe it's a, like a lot of places even toronto maybe it was like this but people only fuck with you, especially on the English side, if you go get fame outside of Montreal or outside of Canada, and they like you over there, and then Montreal claims you. was like, oh, yeah, that's a Montreal rapper. Yeah, he's ours. But when you were in the city, they don't really fuck with you like that until you get shined from outside the city and come back. Like A lot of cities are probably like that, too, you know? No, nah, that's just an everywhere always thing, to be real with you, honestly. Like, I, you know what, man? I had a guy from Chicago... No, it wasn't Chicago. It was Boston. He was from Boston. And he explained the Montreal problem with such explicit detail that I fucking swear he was a guy from Montreal telling me the Montreal problem. Then I heard oh, the shit. LA guy break down the Montreal problem. And I don't mean you scribble. I mean on my, my show. And then I heard the Louis, Louis, Louisville. I don't know how to fucking say that shit. But I know I've been saying it wrong. Louisville my whole life. I've been saying it wrong. Louisville. But man said it right on my show, so now I'm trying to practice it. But either way, everywhere you hear, it's the Montreal problem. And you're like, oh, 
this is a rapper thing. Yeah, this is a it rapper is. thing. Rappers are shit at business, is my experience, or like collaboration, or and listen, I got the same fucking ego, okay? Like I understand how rappers be, but like I also got the shit kicked out of me in corporate America. I ain't shit, and I know it in the big picture. Like I don't look at eighty thousand views and go ooh. <laughs> Shit, like, you know, yeah. like, at a certain point, like, I don't know, shit changed, you know? But, like, yo, fact, Ice-T was from L.A. but didn't get any recognition till he blew up in the Bay. Ice-T mm -hmm. couldn't even get love. Ice-T, so, that's crazy. I think what happens is, is a lot of people, when faced with this reality, don't adapt. And they just... That's that's the end of it. There's no more complexity. They just don't adapt to the reality. Like to pretend like yeah. it's not an influencer market is weird. Like you are an influencer in music. Like uh, everyone's even Eminem's kind of embracing the influencer shit a bit more. Like for sure, the mom spaghetti stuff. Avoid it, you know. <laughs> like especially if you're on the come up, unless you've got a plan that makes you money, bro. Then why the fuck you need my advice? You know what you're doing. But if you don't, consider the fact that other people... I'm not saying go do trends. I think trends are stupid. I don't think you should be trendy. But, like, don't fight reality, you know? Like, being the old man guy clinging to 90s hip-hop and pretending guys like Lil Uzi Vert don't have talent is ridiculous. Don't be that guy. Because it's not useful. Yeah. And then, like, understand that, like, there's economics to the situation the one thing I'll say is it's incredible for how many people who want to get paid aren't willing to put up a dollar. I'm not saying everybody, but it's pretty incredible how many of the people that are the loudest, they never offer a dollar one time. And that's when you yeah, start. There's a lot of pop. Sorry, go on. Oh, sorry. I was going to say there's a lot of politicking in, in uh, the rap music or the music industry. It's almost like politics a little bit, you know, it's just like uh, your image and then, working with your team and then you're going against their team and then this marketing machine versus that marketing machine so it's like a lot of like politics but like cooler <laughs> in a way it's like yo rappers are just rappers you know so that's a really good cool way shit to put it. Too. it is absolutely politics but it has almost nothing to do with talent i think i mean here here's here's what i mean like at a certain age you're just supposed to be good like it's not special to be talented in your 30s if you're still doing it in your 30s and you're not talented the fuck's wrong with you you're doing it for fun at that point respect but like if you're trying to take it serious you're just like like you can't be flexing like that's cool you have to find new ways to be cool is what i realized and i just don't think a lot of people want to accept that part of it like i don't know i, I somebody like you do a podcast right or you're yeah. involved in that. That's fire. Like, that's being more than just, like, a beat-making rapper guy. That's, like, fucking adapting to the modern reality and going, oh, say word. I need to be more personable and re re relate to my fans more. I mean, I'm doing the same thing. Look right here. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, like, and it's the same necessity. I am pretty antisocial, blah, blah, blah. People don't get to see me like that. And it's, like, that creates that more influencer vibe. And you get to have that more intimacy. And it is about connecting and shit. So, like... That shit's super important, um, but it is also politics. So it's like this combination of things that are happening. And so the politics I find is like, yo, there's a lot of people that made a lot of money selling weed at rap shows. So just keep that in mind when people be giving you advice. Yes, I made no money selling weed at rap shows. I have no financial investment in a fucking rap show. 
I'm all about that internet hustle. I'm trying to tell people how to make money on Twitch. So you can take my advice with a grain of salt because it's coming from where I know how to make money. You know what I miss, though? I miss going to concerts. I, that's what the one thing I want to do, like, when this pandemic shit ends. I want to go back to concerts, festivals. That's one thing I, I haven't done enough. But, like, even the times that I have done it, I'm like, yo, it's a dope experience to go. Super I dope. went to a Kendrick concert, went to a Kanye concert. The Kanye, I think it was the Yeezus one. Kendrick was the Damn concert in the Bell Center. Both of them were lit. So I want to do more, you know? I've done a couple more. I think I went to a Waka Flocka show once. That shit was lit. That's fire. And two chains. I think two chains at one point. I fucks with two chains. I would like to go. I wouldn't have wanted to go to a two chain show, but now I really want to go to a two chain show. I've become a big two chains fan. Um, but like, I miss shows a lot. I'm very worried about the small end of the scene. But the big shit that Montreal's gonna do the second they're allowed is gonna be so good. It's gonna be like, yo, everything's gonna be hot this summer. Bro, I don't even care what it is. Whatever free shit they have in the streets gonna be the hottest shit I've seen this year. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, for real. <laughs> and uh, but I find the sorry, yeah, yeah the the scene in Montreal like like it's uh, I find it's it's getting towards where it should be. Like I mean, we're we're probably gonna get more recognition coming soon. Like you said, like Nate Husser already is one biggest artist. Like High Classified is doing his thing. K Trinata has been doing his thing. You know, what? there are more producers. A, but, you know, I want to shift the focus. Five on four online mix been doing their thing. The hustle podcast mm-hmm. been doing their thing. It's not to plug myself. Facts. It's actually to shift the focus where it needs to be focused. The one thing I've been really big on is supporting that local English media. And it's a lot of the media sources, even on the French side. They got like fifteen fucking podcasts that are hot rap politique. Rap politique yeah. does more for the scene than probably <laughs> most of the individual like rappers. And again, it's not really about me, but it is part of this wave that people are trying to create. Even yourself, like you're doing a podcast. You're part of this media sphere that involves artists. So yeah, you're part of this wave too that is forcing people to think about us more. And it's creating this ecosystem that goes above and beyond just being rappers and shit. Because yo, like it's almost like the advertising comes from the media that comes from the buzz that comes from people doing things that reinforces the low end opportunities that creates the cycle to create almost this middle class economy and shit. The one thing I wish and I see it because all of the people's numbers are the English podcast versions of me are doing shit. So all of us are not getting watched. Anybody might be doing a little boosted as it's just fine. It's almost like you have to, but y'all in Montreal yeah. should give a shit about Montreal more. That's the one thing I think would build the scene up. Cause yo, there's so much in this city and I don't even think anybody in this city knows how much is in this city. And that's why everyone is having the cognitive dissonance. We all face in our reality when we all want to be Drake, but really we Drake in a city of Drake's. Hey, that's bars right there. Sheesh. Uh, and we got drake no not really not really <laughs> fair uh nah but really like i think it's that it's the people who want to build the ecosystem and the more older people i th- i put it on people in their 30s as you come into your 30s that is us like who the fuck else is gonna do it the 40 pluses they can't necessarily run it like the 30s it's different they got their role they gotta advise us as we advise the next ones and it creates this like cycle like uh, the steps that everyone wants to be from atlanta and that meme that every city shared and renamed to their city and every city except and you know what 
Atlanta shared that meme and called it fucking Bay Area. So, like, you know, like, because <laughs> I heard in Atlanta it's a little overglorified. And guess what? When you see that many successful rappers, there's that many more not successful rappers. And it's just like, yo, yep. there's only so many slots. Like, this is the shit I think about a lot. I have 378 English rappers on a list right now. 378. And I don't have even it. That's not everyone. I'm pretty sure I can get that to 2,000 if the whole wave gets picked up. So 2,000 English rappers and what, 30 are going to get attention? That's crazy. It's it's a numbers game at the end of the day. The thing is, is like a whole guap of us can make money if we all accept that attention yep. part. And that's the part I'm having trouble with everybody with, <laughs> in my opinion, even myself. Because, yo, I know I can make a hundo a year. I just can't be the top guy. I'm pretty sure. I'm 35, 4. I'm kind of weird. I get it. But I could go be some weirdo <laughs> fucking tour with the homies and we just cruise the fuck. You know, but that's the thing. It's like, but everybody, like, I think low-key want to be everybody. And it's weird to me because, like, why? I don't get it. I don't know. Your lyrics evoked some of that emotion in me. <laughs> no lie. <laughs> but I find, like, everyone, every rapper could have a niche. Like, there's some group of people, like, even if you're talking marketing-wise or just talking people-wise, like humanity, like there's always a percentage of people that will connect with the idea that you have or with the, the, the sentiment that you have or something. There's always a niche audience for each people. You just got to go find them and hold on to those people. Because even if you're not a famous artist, you could have, a, a th- a, what is it, a thousand true fans? A thousand true fans are the people that would ride or die for you. You put out a song, you know they'll like it, they'll share it. And if you put out a T-shirt that costs $5, you have a 1,000 true fans that will buy it and you got a $5,000. So you know that you automatically have those people that ride for you. You don't even have to have a crazy fan base. A thousand people like Ryan Leslie been doing creative shit. I like, fucking swear I'd be saying shit like that. Fans. I love that you said that, bro. That is one of my favorite things. Um, and like even yeah. Scribble, like high key, Scribble being my fan is a mind trip. Because so many people in my circle think Scribble is the coolest guy they've ever encountered in their fucking DMs. Because Scribble's worked with Ra, the rugged man. His list of people is pretty fucking impressive. His talent is pretty fucking out there. When he shares his Spotify fucking thing at the end of the year, I don't say shit. I just look and I compare it against Montreal because it gives me more honest understandings of what success looks like. The fact that he fucks mm-hmm. with me over here in Montreal, I'm sitting there going, say a fucking word, you know? Like, That's just, dope. So to me, it's not necessarily um, the number of fans, but it's the quality of people that fuck with you. I'd rather have a scribble in my corner than, like, fucking a thousand other people because, yo, scribble be going places in life. That's that's what it is. And it's like, yo, my homeboy Flacco Bayo, he's connected to guys like Poison Pen and some other bigger names. So we got to smoke blunts with Poison yeah. Pen in November. That was a huge accomplishment in my life. The whole world is going to hear about that shit. I don't care. But like, why? Because the right guy, I reviewed his album and he wanted to do an interview and that unlocked things in my life that are pretty fucking excellent. <laughs> you know, like... It kind of like was just shit like that. So is it really like the numbers? Bro, my numbers are so trash that people don't think I'm impressive. It's pretty weird. My whole life CV is ridiculous. (laughs) If people were to learn the story a little more, it's I'm not trying to like flex too heavy. But bro, I flipped the call center into proper corporate as a dropout while being a rapper smoking weed on camera. 
not a lot of That's people could make a flex like that. And I still That's am employed true. there right now. Same company for 12 years in March. Sheesh. They sent me to Pakistan, bro. Like, it was some real shit. Oh, shit. Per diems that one time. It was real fun. <laughs> so, like, shit, Pakistan. That's sick. Wow. It was, it was every cliche bullshit you've ever heard about going to a third world place and humility and crap. I, I was a lot more that white dude that spoke that ignorant white dude Tom McDonald shit until I went to Pakistan and realized what I was like. And then it was really humbling. And you went, I, it just flipped me. It was like crazy. It was like that pivotal experience. I told my homeboy, bro, it was that big. And he was like, you can't know that. And I'm like, watch. To this day, I know it. Because, yo, you see shit like mans with like a shotgun, old mans, like your grandpa, with a fucking shotgun, guarding a mall, and he makes 80 Canadian dollars a month. Minimum wage. Damn. And they be living That's like crazy. nine deep at the house. Cause everybody got a beater. And like, yo, bro, I was balling. Okay, like eight eight people McDonald's is 25 bucks. It's like, yo, like. Damn. <laughs> you know, like it was a mind fuck. And it inspired me a lot to be a better person and shit. Because honestly, high key, I just want to be able to do that again. I want to be able to do it here. I want to be so fucking rich that I'm buying the team. Everything. Like Chris Chrome. He's getting a car one day if I get it, you know, like Sheesh. he just popped into the chat, but, um, let's go. Shout out to Chris Chrome. Facts. But yeah. So it's like, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. But then if you don't get those experiences, it might not be as easy to have some of these visions. And I think the people that have the visions and the experiences do a really shit job of translating any of that wisdom and knowledge to people that didn't get there. Cause they never asked the question, have you traveled? And Ask that question when you're arguing on Facebook, track the data source of yes versus no, and watch a complete different trajectory of answers. Sheesh, that's crazy. It's like a whole formula. Yeah, it's that data shit. I'm really in. It's, it's all from that stat shit that I was telling you about earlier because I got really yeah. into stats. <laughs> and everything's data points. That's how big data works. That's how the social media spy on you and shit, right? So technically, all behaviors can be perceived and viewed as a data set that can be tracked. So in a conversation, half the reason I post on Facebook and shit is just to get data on my peeps. They all say shit and I remember it. Done. It's kind <laughs> Easy. of, it's like, and people will tell you everything. I mean, that's why I do interviews now too. It's data as a city. It's not malicious to me. This is the most genuine thing. I'm trying to capture the city of Montreal, the whole pulse of it, all of it. Get the data, put the data on the website. Motherfuckers can't ignore it. Nobody did it. Yeah, it's true. I don't know why nobody did it, but nobody did it. And it's boring. That's why nobody did it. But <laughs> I mean, not this part. This part's fire. We, we just, we have a list, right? I actually put you on my list today. Once I realized you were a rapper, I couldn't find you before. But anyway, you're on the list and every Montreal rapper is going to be on the list. English, all of them. It's going to be the stupidest long it is fucking seven day a week motherfucking list. But the whole city will be there. Can't deny Montreal. That's dope. Just can't deny it then. You can't deny the English scene's power at that point. Whether you like it or not, that's not my place to say I don't give a fuck. It exists. That's my big. It's dope that you have a you have a whole list of every English rapper you countered. So I've never I've never seen anyone do that before. Especially for Montreal, you know, like I've I've heard of rappers, but I've never knew anyone that could kept a list like that, you know. I it's you can't complain if you can't solve a problem and I love to complain, my friend. I fucking love to complain. 
so therefore I have to be <laughs> as passionately involved in solving problems so that it's not just me whining. At least that's how I justify complaining. I'm only allowed to complain about shit if I'm actively involved in solving it. That's a good, like a good point to do. Because then you're contributing to the solution. You're not just complaining to complain. Like you're doing kind of both parts of it. Kind yeah. of like a, that's what scientists do. You know? They come up with a hypothesis, which is kind of complaining. And then they prove if they're, what they say is kind of true or not. High key, 90s music, all complaining, very few solutions. I mean, <laughs> high key. You look at today's music, it's a little more solution oriented. And I mean that doing album. I do album reviews, so I mean that like legitimate, but nobody want to have that chat because then you have to get into a lot bigger conversations and nobody really want to do that. Um, do you have plans to drop like a proper album or like working on the proper gifted full album? Um, I mean, I came up, I, I had a mixtape under my old name, Chris Cash to Gifted. Like, it was a mixtape, but like, mixtapes don't really exist nowadays because everything's on Spotify and it's on Spotify. But I, I do want to do an album one day. But the thing is, as an artist, I find nowadays what I'm focusing on is posting, trying to post one song a month and doing a whole uh, marketing campaign through for that song every month so people could focus on one piece of content. Like if people don't really know me right now and I put out an album, it's too much like attention span of people is too short. If I put out a 12 track uh, album and no one really knows me, they might listen to the first three and then like move off of it. And then, you know, so I don't have the attention of people yet. So that's why I'm trying to get their attention with the singles and then build up my profile month to month uh, that way instead. And then eventually I'll might pull together an album because you can still put an album together with songs you've previously released. So if some of them do good, you could put them on your album, like Cardi B style with the uh, Bodak Yellow. You know, oh, stuff bro, like that's, that. that's how you hack some shit. That's how you get that beautiful motherfucking day one release number shit because all the ISRCs carry over so all the streams come on through and you can like day one if you build up a proper run it up campaign or however you run your shit. <clears throat> um, kind of like um drop a project and effectively have like seventy five thousand streams on day one on the past and then just share the, the instagram picture and that's enough ain't nobody asking questions i literally was posting pictures outright telling snitching on myself in the caption and nobody gives a fuck they still heard it so i'm like okay who cares <laughs> that's crazy in fact like the marketing guys show up and go hey you know it's fucking wild but like yo i spent all year just snitching on all the shitty market every everything i ever did with marketing i just told everyone this year and it turns out it doesn't matter bro i stopped probably caring about mixes and shit and nothing, nothing really matters the way people think it does people fuck with you or they yeah. don't fuck with you it's not like i mean to a degree there is a point where and you're going to be having a lot more income than i have coming in off your shit where you should act different and i'm at the point where i'm getting more income focused because at a certain point you do have to treat it like a business so literally tomorrow i'm meeting with a dude that's older than me like a more older experienced business guy like all he knows how to do is business he's not an artist he's gonna help me okay. structure this to get to the next level because i'm so good at concept and but show when you really get to the nitty-gritty bro i'm a fucking burnout that works all the time it's like not like a burnout pothead more like a work burnout probably a burnout pothead but one that doesn't 
anyway, I'm just getting caught up in semantics, but <laughs> yo, the business planning shit, it's like the hardest part of the shit. It's like to, to stop it from just being fully fun and to treat it like work with all the boring you know ass work I, shit that comes into work. It's like, yeah. Well, what I realized is, uh, like you said, like you're trying to put on so many hats and be a jack of all trades. Well, you know, a jack of all trade is a master of none unless he's a master of one. I think that's how the saying goes. So, I mean, at some point nowadays, you have to be everything. You have to be the marketing team, the producer, the artist, uh, the manager. But at one point when you burn them out, like you're saying, maybe that's when you have to reach out to someone external and get an external manager, external marketing expert and, you know, go that route at that point. Do you know how hard that is to, like, materialize? Like... I, I know it sounds like this sounds like an excuse, but I have gone as far as to put it into lyrics and songs, make Facebook posts about it, bring it up in interviews. I've just thrown it into the universe to a point where actually people are showing up and responding to some of the bait. But the number of people that want to help you from a position of like above you-ness is mad different than below you-ness. And what I need is experience, not all help you know what i mean like i need somebody that just knows some old man shit almost like has just done shit better than me and understands what i'm dying doing now can be like bro let me tell you about 1984 you know i need some of that shit in my life a little <laughs> bit and i there's tactics to get that but like that's kind of what it is man it's like yo i don't know how to attract the help because i'm missing something and i haven't figured it out yet and as I find those, to be fair, I started making a plan, like a proper business plan, like with goals and visions and priorities. And that helped a lot. That helped me attract older guy that wants to talk to me. So you can do things, <laughs> but yo. You need that uh, Montreal DJ Khaled. You're like, yo, DJ Khaled. You need that type of guy behind you. You need to be able to communicate what the fuck you want to do to specifics. Because believe it or not, I've had a lot of people ask me, offer help. But then I'm like, with what? How? How? How do you take what you do and translate that into help and make that actionable? And I know that's like an abstract thing, but like it's literally the challenge of my life. There's a lot of things I do, like upload a video. That's about 11 individual tasks or whatever it is. So, yeah. and then that's a timing commitment. That's a responsibility to make sure that the person that is now reporting to me that I'm probably not paying, let's be fucking real. Cause I don't have that money right now is going to just do this shit for free for the goodness of their heart on time. That's a whole fucking, mm -hmm. yo, it's a process is all I'm saying. So when the people out there be like, get management, I don't think anybody ever talk about this side of it. Cause I don't think anybody really be doing shit. Plus managers be going, where did the money, what am I managing? Yeah. Bro? So then you have to do so much prep work, which fair enough, you should do it to get the manager man in place. Like, yo, we be talking like artist bios and press kits and websites and fucking all of it, you know, like all the shit that you probably didn't do if you don't have management. <laughs> yeah, true. But it's also hard to just hand over the reins to someone else after you're like so obsessive about something and you try to wear so many hats, do so many things. And like you're obsessed about it, like you're almost like your baby, and then you have to hand that to someone else for them to take care. Sometimes it's hard to do that too, you know. Like, especially if you like you like controlling that certain aspect, you're letting that person control your manage you, and that's where the, the word manager is. No, like, kind of comes from. Let's bring this back to your story. 
that's where that trust shit comes in. That's where we actually have to like each other, go smoke some dope and fucking have some fun times and actually connect with some people in a personal way. Every single one of my hip hop relationships, and I can just say this because it is what it is, like they don't feel like real friendships. There's one, Vincent Price absolutely feels like we've developed a real friendship out of it scribble too scribble's like a homie but it's different because he's not montreal scene but like a lot mm-hmm. of the people in my scene like it doesn't feel like our friendships are friendships it feels like a commodification of exchange all the time it feels like we're all a bunch of whores prostituting each other for attention mm-hmm. and i don't enjoy it personally it makes me feel like it's really weird because as i meet people not in montreal they act a little different with me and it's cool but, like, I don't know why it, it, like, like, every beat maker's house, they just start playing beats at me. I'm like, bro, like, I don't <laughs> even want to fucking rap right now. And I don't know, maybe yeah. all the rappers they know want to just rap all the time and shit. But this is, like, it's, like, bro, like, I don't know. Matt is my boy. Matt doesn't need to tell me. Matt knows things ahead of time. Because he just sees my boy. We work together. We got friendship. And we maintain that friendship for like, fuck, since 2012, 2013 or some shit. So there you go. Long enough to be real friends and shit. But yep. like we had <laughs> moments where we got drunk and smoked pot and, and chilled. And it, our sessions were often, because I'm a time waster back then, it was a lot of tomfoolery on my time wasting. And he was like, fuck it, you're paying. But like we, be, we were friends. And that's why we're still friends that do it. Chris, good Lord. He's going to watch this. But a lot of time was spent wasting time, not being productive. And look at that. I mean, since what, fucking seven years now or some shit? Um, I've been working with Chris for a long time. And it's like, I don't know. Everybody, I, I, maybe it's me too. Like, I'm saying this because I don't, I don't think I'm innocent. I think I treat people exactly like how they treat me in some regards. And I feel like people put me in boxes of rapper or this or that or however they fucking know me. And when we do the same thing, like, I, put, I literally do it when writing the title. I have to guess what your roles are for the title of a video, bro. It's, like, wild how we all treat each other. Anyway, that was a lot of rambling, but I think it was cool rambling. So it's a good time to end that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I feel you, bro. Like, I feel like sometimes, like, I do feel some relationships for music or something like that are a bit transactional, but the people you gravitate towards the more most are, like, people that are just cool with you on the friend level, and then on that way, it helps you get the synergy to make music easier. Like, like me and Stretch, like, I record at his studio, and I feel like we developed, like, a, a way of working where he gets what I need, like, like I get what like he he needs as a re- recording engineer or something like that, and then he knows my recording process, like how I like to chop it, how many takes I like to do, uh, when I like to do my ad libs before or after. So like when you have that process and that synergy, like uh, like a Drake and an OVO forty for example, like the right producer artist combo or whatever, just that friendship, it bleeds through to the music. Even if you're friends with your manager or your friends with your you know, security guard or whatever it is, like in your team, that helps the the relationship, the working relationship, because you have that, you know, that connection level. It's just like if you are, you know, a coworker, like, uh, like you know, your coworker's sister, for example, like, oh shit, we went to high school together. Automatically, you have a different connection with that coworker than a regular coworker that you, don't know, you know nothing about. You know, so it works in any type of world too, any type of environment. So the big lesson of this interview 
is we need to treat like like I learned this lesson about dating people. If you like a girl, it was from some fucking movie I can't remember, but it worked out true in my life, so I quoted his wisdom. If you like a girl and you fuck her on the first date, there's a high chance you may never see her again. But if you wait till the second date, you kind of lock that shit in. And it's weird, but it worked out like magic. Every first date, never saw her again after that. Every fucking locked it on a couple dates in, sucked into it. Didn't want to leave. Even if I was running more than one, it was fucking amazing secret and life hacks. (laughs) But in a sense, I think like with music and shit, we kind of like do the fuck on the first date thing all the time. Like... I have a homeboy now, like, yo, we met in a more organic sense and we got to know each other. And he came over and he just ended up on my song. And it really was like, I get him, he gets me. And I was like, that was cool. We could fucking do this more often type thing. But the number of people that I actually just hung out with just to chill with in the last couple of years and not have it be transactional is so fucking... Ah, scribbles like if a girl's letting you smash on the first date, she probably ain't a keeper. I don't know about that. But um <clears throat> But like you might be right though, based on my theory lining up with that shit. Um but uh Maybe. It's not about letting you. It's just like I think everyone needs more patience. Maybe we we all get a little too hasty. Cause yo, man, this is again me. I'm just trying to have better relationships in the future with people because yo, I fucked up a lot last year with people, so I don't wanna repeat that shit, you know? Yeah, I feel you. Like, I'm trying to better my relationships too. you know, try to get out my bubble, reach out to people more. You know, sometimes I, I get into, like, the rat race, you know, like, the, the rat wheel of, like, try to get my music right. I'm like, shit, I'm not reaching out to, like, this person that I'm close with or this person. I'm like, shit, I need to be more. You know, I'm like, yo, I need to see my mom more. Like, a little shit oh, like that. Fucking like, I'm too, too busy. I think I saw my mom once the whole pandemic. One time. Sheesh. Is she in Pierre Farm? That's crazy. And then there was the oh, vaccination yeah, yeah. issue and shit. And then, like, finally, everyone was double vaxxed. And, okay, you can come over now. And then it's now if I come <laughs> over. Have you seen anybody in the last couple of weeks? I'm like, yo, I mean, like, my, <laughs> I don't live the safest Everybody. life. Like, I mean, I make, I'm, I'm going to go to the parties I'm not supposed to go to because if I get invited and it makes sense politically, I'm going to go to the shit. I'm cool with that. I just won't post about it on Instagram. <laughs> Yeah, I had a party this weekend for my birthday, and yeah, I got I turned up. <laughs> What's up, Stills? I mean, the way I see that is just don't be stupid about it. Like the Quebec influencer people, probably not the smartest example to follow. Um, Truly, yeah. But like, yo, we went to this whole show in a fucking in Laval in November, and it was like easily 200 people in the room nobody was wearing masks it was it was a vibe it felt like bro it felt like what the old days it was the most beautiful november night i i've never loved laval as much as that day in my life bro and now i think highly (laughs) of laval actually but like um yeah it was amazing but like people weren't being snitch about it so it worked if people were being snitch about it the cops would have shut it down and it would have been corny like the cops, yeah, exactly. Get it. Everyone was cool. Like nobody's gonna fuck with you. It's when you act stupid that they have to react, react and shit. And I don't think anyone wants to own that part of it in the middle. Yeah, like me, I'm. I'm actually. Uh, well, I mean, now I live in Laval. I used to hate Laval so much because I always lived in Montreal. But once I moved there, I'm like, yo, it's fucking chill here. Like everything's so fucking chill. There's less traffic, more space. Uh, you know, everything's like better neighbors. Everything's just better. I don't know. 
Maybe I'm I drinking the Kool-Aid or some shit. <laughs> nah, I mean, I think, like, today Laval and old Laval ain't the same Laval. It'd be, like, comparing anything of, like, old Montreal. Like, I live three blocks from Walkley, bro. Like, it's not... Oh, shit, man. One of my friends lives close to there. It's, but, like, it's not what it was. You can't even compare it. Like, yo, what, Walkley is a bunch of students. It's just the safest. You could walk up at 2 in the morning no matter what, and you're good. It's not what it was kind of thing. So it's yeah. possibly just new Laval's dope because I keep hearing people go to Laval and tell me it's dope. So, I mean, maybe it's not Kool-Aid. Yeah. Maybe it's actually just a hype vibe because, yo, the best hip-hop show I've seen, Laval. It wasn't in Montreal. Sheesh. Yo, that shit was so yes, late. Yes, the new wave. And it wasn't even the performances that made it late. It was the crowd. It was like this was the Laval crowd, and the Laval crowd's a real thing. It's like this inner circle of people who hang out with each other that doesn't really exist in Montreal because it's so big and not like having that cr or I don't know who the fuck these people are. They don't invite me to shit. Um, so yeah, <laughs> like, but the Laval crowd, because there's so many less places to go, you can easily get into it in a way where you can't as easily in Montreal. Yeah, exactly. I find like that's like a, a new kind of wave, like the past maybe three, four years. Like, it's like a lot of young people living in Laval. Like, I don't know. It's like a new set of people that are, like... Because Montreal's getting so full. Like, for the past couple of years, people are just moving on the outskirts further and further. So now Laval for sure got populated. Now it's going all the way up, like, North Shore. But, yeah, man. It's been popping the past few years, I guess. past few years. Nah, I appreciate that. Yo, I'm not really sure where to take the conversation. And we're at 926. And I fucks with your energy and everything. So I want to make sure we end this on a high note. Do you have any mm -hmm. last things you want to say to the people out there? Uh, I mean, there's a lot I could say, but uh, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll leave the tip out there for uh, the, the musicians, like the rappers and singers. What I, it's a really simple, simple trick I discovered in social media is playing your song without your face showing and playing your song with your face showing total difference like people i don't know it's a human thing if on social media you're performing your song even if you're rapping through your phone you're doing a little performance video you have a little mic set up you're sitting at your computer if you wrap your song to the camera you can add effects or not it connects more than just posting your song with uh basically a graphic or a photo like people like that human interaction and it makes it real they're like you're actually a rapper if you're rapping your raps in front of them so that's what makes it real so that's a gem i want to share for people out there you know yeah, and that is a brilliant gem. And I'm not even lying, bro. It's like you dropped a big-time knowledge nugget, like a way to close it off. Um, I've personally tested that every time you put your face. Instagram's algorithm all out just basically said put your face in shit or I don't give a fuck or put a cat yep. <laughs> or put something good. Like if you're not putting your face, it better be motherfucking good is what Instagram said. Yo, TikTok mm – -hmm. Yeah, quick tangent though. But TikTok, yo, like, it's about to fuck shit up. I highly recommend everybody look up Budman. And I'm about to show you something that some of you might not like. I'm not going to show it, like, literally. But Google Google Budman on TikTok. And he does these, like, one-minute rap songs where he's by himself in a room. And he green screens multiple versions of himself in for effect. But they're all one-minute rap songs. He got half a million followers on TikTok. And now he's building up for a single Damn. run everything was just fucking at home on your phone shit 
makes his own little one minute beat songs but bro it's like it's all different now all the all the things people think are like your album still gotta be there but you're supposed to throw a million bullshits away before they'll care about your album is my understanding of the game because the one thing that about the mixtape era is none of that shit's on the internet so none of you know how many songs your favorite rapper really did yeah and from my understanding is a lot of people got like fucking hundreds of tracks like that we just never heard hundreds and everybody be worrying about like over flooding the market and shit and apparently all my heroes over flooded the market so it's like just stuff i think about you know like with this tiktok era where it really seems to be not be you got to be able to bang out like new songs and i'm not saying it's going to be everything out all of it but the fact that budman be doing his shit right um Yo, that's fair. Yo, Scribble just said some crazy shit too. He's got a homie on TikTok that has 500,000 followers but can't fill a room with more than three people. And then something about TikTok doesn't transfer. On the other hand, I know of some other dude that got TikTok famous, but he's hot and like girls want to fuck him. So he'd be filling rooms because I watched him blow up on Instagram (laughs) and realized he was a TikTok like Pulse Malone clone. It's the best way I can describe this guy. He's a Post Malone okay. clone and like, yo, that translated. So I think sometimes it translates. Most times it doesn't translate. But all times, if you have 500K followers, you are eating off that account. And that is the bigger lesson because, yo, a lot of people need to learn how to eat. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's making money. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, like, I find the TikTok uh, algorithm, it's... It's different than Instagram because Instagram, uh, you know, it's ever since they changed it. Well, it wasn't a timeline anymore when they started fucking with it. Uh, TikTok kind of decided to be like a free range algorithm. Like as long as you post dope content, they'll just throw it out there and see if it catches, you know, compared to other types of algorithms. So it's, it's very different. I think the trends change a lot. The trends change by community and what you make as a piece of content can go micro viral any day in any community at any time, just because you might've just made the right style of bad video to be funny to college kids this week. That's what makes TikTok (laughs) special is it reacts to in real time meme culture in a way that like facebook cannot facebook cannot keep up real like because i pay attention to the different sites and how they treat reels and oh my gosh is tiktok bad at it like tiktok it's not tiktok i i said that poorly tiktok is amazing at it all love to tiktok i feel love and joy on tiktok but facebook's fucking god awful at their tiktok in terms of the algorithm the content it Mm -hmm. It doesn't know how to do it it's really bad at it it's like man you don't know me like tiktok and then Instagram is like, you don't know me like TikTok. And then you go to TikTok and it's like, you like, you know me better than Bonnie. Bonnie's my like, Okay. Yeah. I was back the there. FYP page. Yo, it just knows you. And you're like, it's wild how almost everything is entertaining to you in some way or another. The longer you Yeah, I kind of decided to delete the TikTok app off my phone because I was like, oh, I can't get stuck in these TikTok loops anymore. Like scrolling and scrolling. But then I might have to go back on it if I have to post my own stuff on there. But we'll see. It made me a better video editor by, or a better filmography person because now I watch TikToks for the editing tips. I know it's it changed. Because here's the thing. Once you become a creator in a sphere, bro, it's over. You'll never enjoy it the same. It will never be fun again. So just become a creator and you can't enjoy it the same. Right? Like it's the <laughs> easiest way. But true. now I just watch how they edit, how they film. 
and I am never going to pay a video guy for a very long time in the city because TikTok and my phone is going to get me through the next summer or the next 20. I have a bunch of music videos to make on the low because you can. And it's going to be the same result as anybody else's effort, in my opinion. Yeah, it's pretty sick. That's my only really selling point to TikTok is it kind of teaches you to low-key video edit so that you can go to more complicated programs and have a base understanding of shit. But the good thing about TikTok, I found nowadays it kind of pivoted. Now there's like financial advice on TikTok. There's all kinds of people that do different shit. Like uh, I find it's going towards the YouTube, like it kind of went that YouTube route a little bit by letting creators do like the how-tos. You know how if you go on YouTube, right, how to do this, everything pops up. They kind of threw that in there on TikTok, which... I kind of like that part of it. Some people giving financial advice, uh, relationship advice, life advice, or whatever it is that helps you out. Tips. You know? I yeah. don't even have a house, but I just ended up in home renovation TikTok, and I find it pleasurable to watch people do random home repairs that I'll never have to do or I won't do in the near future. But um, there's a danger to that that is also the same danger as YouTube. Uh, the easier it is to make that content, the easier it is for anybody to make that content and tiktok is nefariously built around these microchasms of bad information too so for all the good that can happen it's a little bit like it knows you so it's just feeding you what you want and it's kind of like creates these environments and echo chambers and that's the danger of tiktok but otherwise it's fucking hot like i love this app but yeah but it, it kind of feeds into the well, there's, I don't know, there's like a special, the thing on Netflix that explains how social media algorithm works and like even uh, political polarization, like political campaigns, like I don't want to get too geeky, but like Facebook ads, for example, if ever there's like an election, the cost per click for Facebook ads goes crazy high because you have to compete with the election budget people. And then when the elections are done, the same ad that you're going to run, it costs you like three times less because you don't have to compete with other people. So there's always that side of it where, you know, political side, like they push you towards one political agenda with the algorithm and only you only if you're on the left side, your algorithm is built to only see that type of content. If you're on the right side, you know, and we're all kind of in our bubble created by, all the, by the algorithm because it shows us what we like. And the more we watch what we like, the more it feeds you that and then you continue. So it could be good, but it could be bad. You know, if like you're an addict and then you start seeing that type of stuff online, maybe that's bad, but. I mean, just you know, in the sense of, machine. but even in the sense of politics, I guess my danger is, look at this, this convoy situation. Everybody, including myself, can make a TikTok about it. And it's that easy. So the fact that it's yeah. that easy, it's like, yo, this is wild. Because, yo, then like, you had the montage music, super easy. Anyway, I'm, I'm not trying to go too deep with it, but like, YouTube required a lot more effort. A lot more effort so less people were to pursue that and then older media required a lot lot more effort so less people pursued that so the number of shysters that would just pop on and talk that bullshit and the biggest place you see it is the nft market where the scamming motherfuckers be out there basically everybody that wasn't a successful pimp in real life figured out how to pimp on discord with people in the nft game and that's a wild world when you look into it but if you know about pimping at all 
that's what's happening on Discord servers, left, right, and center, as motherfuckers be hustling, um, uh, you know, NFTs and shit. I mean, that's an interpretation of it. Other people may disagree with that. Yeah, the NFT world, like, I don't know, I have to get into that, but like, some part of that world is, um, like, I like the medium of NFT, but if your your art has no value, you don't need to make it an NFT because it has no value. But if your art has value, it's a useful tool. Most people, a lot, a lot of them are using it as gimmicks to put non-valuable art there just for people to buy because it's on the platform. They're like, oh, it's an NFT, I'm gonna buy it, but there's no real value to it. It's like a stick man drawing or something, you know? So I like the people ha- actually putting value. work to the art. I don't think, so I would dispute the value, permanent value, sure. But value can be defined as sentimental value, which is like, mm-hmm. yo, my emotions and shit, uh, feelings, grandma's gonna like that type thing. There's nostalgic value, or sorry, or nostalgic value is also part is part of like as part of that. There's utility value, which is like, yo, this is literally gonna get me money or skills or something, which is often what we put with regards to value when we use it in this context. But then there's also status value, and I'm not even gonna lie to you, but to pretend like somebody that owns an ape doesn't have status value would be kind of not true. They they definitely have value. Um, why do they have value? Mm-hmm. Because you know that motherfucker put up like half a million dollars to get it and we think that's value. So that's it. Mm-hmm. Has value. Um, why does it worth that? I don't know. Because all the other values put together, loneliness, tapped into club mentality, tapped into Discord server cults, tapped into a bunch of really weird shit in the NFT world that nobody really goes into because honestly, y'all hate Discord. Y'all hate Discord, so none of you are there. That's probably why everybody's there that does this type of shit. But it's wild <laughs> shit, man. It's wild. Like, they tap into your gambling dopamine shits. Yo, come in at 623 for an airdrop, bro. Free NFT, bro. 623. You might get the hot one this time. It's all that shit, bro. Like, it's, it's wild. On the other yeah. hand, there's completely legitimate uses for this shit. Like, Next Homeboy is writing white papers on how to, like, track fucking spins of records like the fucking RCIA or whatever they're called does. So, like, there's good practical applications, but there's a lot of predatory mm-hmm. behavior. It freaks me out a bit. But there's, like, um, but the good part of NFT, too, is uh, some of them have clubs. Like if you buy like I don't know what it is a board ape or whatever yeah, you're part of that club and they send you an address and there's meetups and you share resources and it's like a a whole thing like that so there's some benefits to, to it to like, like community wise to those ones but then imagine the one that looks like that but it's really just like a bunch of dudes that don't have any value just hanging you know like it's like so there's the big ones that have value and then there's like millions of clones like it's it's a wild west bro like. I'm telling you, go Google that shit after and go down that rabbit hole and you're going to see how the Bored Apes is like a thing and then it just is layers on layers on layers. Dude, there's a metaverse for NFTs. I haven't installed it yet. I plan on doing a stream of exploring it when I get the opportunity. But like, it's basically like all the VR metaverses, but it's entirely based on NFT games to mine for more NFTs, to mine for more NFTs. And all the NFTs have value in this world. And then you buy land in the world. And it's like, oh, this is like a whole thing where if you there, it all makes sense. But unless you're there, none of it makes sense. And that actually yeah. has value because Second Life made a billion dollars on loneliness. So has value. 
but not for everyone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the metaverse stuff kind of scares me a little bit sometimes. But every technology to me has a benefit and a downfall. But technology usually makes us a little bit more lazy because it takes care of more something that we used to worry about. So there's always the two sides of the coin, you know, like you get that new technology, but you're just more lazy because you know that that machine could do it for you now, you know? So facts metaverse is going to be the same hustle as fucking every other social media. I mean, we, we're looking into that high key, like where we're setting up to like have this in the metaverse playing. So at least we have people in the metaverse building there so that when it all comes down, we're not like starting at zero because that would be silly, I think, to not pursue it a little bit. But yo, I appreciate you, Gifted. Man, you're fucking marketing my everything about your, your energy. <laughs> like, you're a really cool dude. I don't know. It's, I get yeah, it. Thanks, bro. It really fucks with your energy. Um, I think your music's good. I think uh, it would just be great to chill again in the future and see what happens with life and all that, you know link up once the fucking dark times are over <laughs> <laughs> the plague when the plague is over we'll link up and shit you know smoke a joint work on music Facts. or whatever just chat um but yeah uh it was great to have you um all your links and shit we have in the link tree because you have a link tree so we just provided your link yeah. tree to the fucking people and and so it's there in the chat for all the people watching Thanks. it's in the description of the video below it's what is it on instagram in case it's the g-i-i -I gifted one you have to put three eyes just gifted with three eyes the gifted one i don't know why i'm being complicated yeah <laughs> but yeah that's it appreciate you for coming through for real reals thank y'all who watch live shout out scribble and everybody scribble been here for like two hours so like or however long it's been so people like really do run it for like on the live so all y'all who do it wonderful those of you who watched it in the future though you're also wonderful. Like, comment, subscribe, YouTube, Facts. podcast, Spotify, shit, whatever you're listening to this on, do the thing. Um, appreciate having y'all again one more time, y'all. And live long and fucking prosper, everybody. That's right. Let's go.